again, welcome to the Feedback Force podcast, the game design analysis podcast of the End Defender community. I'm Kelso. And I'm Kyla. And I'm Carl. And we didn't do an episode last week, and that was my fault, because I thought Memorial Day was uh, later than it... Like, it's not like I don't know when Memorial Day falls, right? I know that, but I I was in, like, a weird temporal place where I thought that there were two you say, weeks. You said it's not like I don't know when Memorial Day falls defensively as though that's common knowledge. It's real hard to remember when Memorial Day falls. Yeah, I guess that's true. I, I have, like, I a... have no idea. Well, you, you don't have to. <laughs> you're you're off the hook, Carl. You're it's safe one of this those, time. Like first Monday of a th- or second Monday of a whatever or last Monday of a something like it's it's one of those things that changes from year to year. Yeah. And so it's you know not you you know like you find out that it's coming at some point and then you write it down because it's not like an obvious like oh hey it's October thirty first it must be Halloween it's not one of those. <laughs> Yeah, the the thing was, I had uh, I had committed to go do family things out of town with, as you may have guessed, my family, uh, Memorial Day weekend, and like Thursday, my mom was like, "So are you? You should pack tonight because we're leaving early in the morning." And I said, "Oh, that's this weekend." <laughs> okay, so it was supposed to be a nice, relaxing weekend, um, but then it ended up being. Uh, me and my parents and, like, my sister and her, well, no, her husband was out of town. My sister and her two kids, and then my stepbrother and his wife and their two kids. So, like, four children, uh, under the age of five in the house. And you. And, and me. Like, luckily I was off the hook for really... Babysitting? For babysitting, yeah. But, man, it was, uh, not relaxing, at all. Let me just tell oh. you that much. So. I'm sorry. I hope your relatives don't listen to this podcast, because then maybe they'll get offended. Oh no, my mom specifically what do you was mean? like... My mom what do you specifically, mean my children aren't relaxing? <laughs> my mom specifically said when we came home, was like, well, that really wasn't the relaxing weekend I was expecting it to be, and we all <laughs> agreed with her. So, yeah. It was, it was fun. I even had a conversation with my mom. I was like, man, I kind of, it would be nice if I had stayed home. And she's like, well, would you rather be home alone? And I didn't say anything. (laughs) (laughs) But. So, yeah. That's why we record last week. Yeah. I didn't do anything interesting for Memorial Day weekend. We just, like, literally hung out here. It was, it was not. I guess I did go see, um, I go, I went to see the new Han Solo Star Wars movie. Oh, how was that? There's a new Star Wars movie? Yeah, it's one of those, it's like Rogue One, it's like one of the anthology ones, not part of the main trilogy. Um, There's a Rogue One? <laughs> yes, Carl. <laughs> okay, I don't, I don't, I don't care about Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's totally fair. Yeah. Um, my, my review of, of the Han Solo movie, it's fine. It's like it's a it's an okay piece of entertainment. It's like perfectly serviceable. I'm um, sure it is it, what it is, kind of. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't do anything particularly like to challenge its audience or like it doesn't really take any risks of any kind. It's fine. Yeah. I I mean, 
here's the thing. I never even saw The Last Jedi. The last one that I watched was um, Rogue One, and that was just because, like, my boyfriend was in town and we needed something to do, so might as well hop on over to the IMAX and watch Rogue One as, like, a date. Uh, mm -hmm. And then he didn't, um, he, he didn't know about Donnie Yen, so then we went home and I made him watch Ip Man. So, so that okay. was good. Yeah. I mean, I don't know much about Donnie Yen. Uh, you should watch Ip Man. It's, it's Donnie Yen, and he fights some mans. And okay. he's, uh, he's real good at a fight. I think there's like four Ip Man movies or something. Um, it? As in IT? Or... Ip, 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 IP. IP, Ip yeah. Man. Okay. Yes. Uh, and Donnie Yen is a, a charming boy with a beautiful smile. Who fights man? Who fights mans? He fights he's those. A, he's the one who plays, I assume, the blind monk in the the movie. Yeah, I think so. I think he was the blind one. I'm pretty sure he was the blind one. <laughs> yes. Um. Yeah. Yeah. That's my review of Rogue One. Uh, <laughs> watch, Go watch it, man. man. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, Carl. Did you do anything interesting in the past few weeks? I'm dying. It's so hot. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been. I haven't seen a cloud in like four weeks. Oh no. Summer. Been, I, I can complain I now when Simon is not here. Yeah. It's I been like eighty-five-ish, eighty-eighty-five-ish American degrees. Every single day. I I kind of like I kind Jeez. of like that, which is why I liked living in LA. But I I understand that that is not a comfortable temperature for most people. <laughs> yeah, it was it was warm here yesterday, and now it's like overcast. And uh, look, looking at my my weather, it is sixty nine degrees. Nice. nice. <laughs> which is a good temperature. So. I mean, around 70 is probably decent. I tend to be comfortable at around, like, you know, 5 to 10 degrees warmer than everyone else. Uh. So, I'm like, for me, I'm, I'm start to get good around, like, 75, which is already starting to be a little warm for most people. Yes, yeah, see, I, I would be perfect around, like, 60, so I am the opposite. Yeah, 60 is good. Yeah. Well. Unless it's raining. And it can be slightly hotter. Well, this has been the weather podcast. <laughs> nice. I wonder, is there a weather podcast? Probably. I mean, <laughs> it seems like it would be tough because by the time the podcast comes out, like the weather is different. Maybe there's a podcast generally about weather and like weather formations and how stuff happens. Like I could believe that. Yeah, but oh. that's boring. Apparently, I think it's probably more interesting than the live weather report podcast. Hang on, okay. I, I, I want to know about the weather in some random uh, place. A player, I don't care about. Player FM, top meteorology podcasts. Oh, nice. Okay. There are one, two, three, four, seven of them listed here. Uh, weather brains. Information of you. Yeah, weather brains. The world's greatest weather podcast. Uh, 
Join Weather Geeks, James Spann, Kevin Sell, Nate Johnson, Brian Peters. There, this is a lot of people. Uh, <laughs> Bill Murray. Bill Murray. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, Audrey Urbanowitz, Rick Smith, along with some of the most brilliant minds in the winter weather enterprise every week. Okay. Wait. No. They have almost 650 episodes. My God. My God. Let's Are see. They there's just talking about what the weather is. Let's see. The next one is a meteorology or weather explained by J.G. McPherson. See, this one actually sounds interesting. Like, oh wait, it's a book. <laughs> what? <laughs> Weather explained, fog, clouds, rain, haze, thunder, cyclones, dew point, and how to count dust motes are just a few of the 35 topics covered in short, easy-to-read-and-understand chapters in this book, published in 1905. Why is this a podcast? Maybe it's like an audiobook that they... I don't know. It's an old book. Yeah, it's an old book. What? Tornado talk. Ooh. Ooh. That's gotta be an exciting podcast. I remember once I was in a drive-thru, and there was a, uh, a, like, big black pickup truck with all this shit bolted onto it, and it was like, STORM-CHASING TRUCK! <laughs> That's not what it said. Um, but yeah, it was like a storm-chaser truck, and they had, like, a website on it. My uh. parents actually got hit by a tornado recently. Oh. And for a loose definition of hit, um, a tornado touched down, like, in my hometown not like at their house directly but like they lost a lot of trees and stuff yeah um which is it's in like northeastern pennsylvania which does not commonly get tornadoes yeah that's that's it was very unusual yeah like my hometown gets hit really hard by a tornado every like five years or so but i my hometown is in iowa which is exactly where you would expect to get ravaged alley it's it's like right on the border but it's space it's close enough so yeah yeah, no, Northeast PA, not really tornado country. Yeah. And yet, like, it touched down, like, in the town and, like, like just apparently dragged up a whole bunch of old trees and downed, like, every power line in the, in the town. So a lot of places didn't have uh, power for, like, five days or something. Oh, yeah, I bet. I mean, if you're, like, if you're not in an area that, that's expecting to get your power lines down, I'm sure it takes a lot longer to get all that. I mean, put back together. you would think they'd be a little more robust because we do see a lot of power outages, um, like in the winter from snowstorm activity. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I guess there was just so many downed trees that they like it took a while to to find and, and get rid of them all. Hmm. Well, maybe we should become a, a weather podcast for real. Actually, <laughs> we're doing we're I mean, doing okay. I did. I did discover another new podcast this this past couple of weeks. Um, I don't know if I would recommend it yet. I'm going to give it a few more episodes before I like fully endorse it or or don't endorse it. Um, but I've been listening to uh, "Can I Pet Your Dog," which is just a dog podcast, and nice. it's just a couple of girls talking about like dogs they met that week, and also fun stories about dogs. Nice. I think. 
Oh no, it was before the last time we recorded. I think I met a, I met a dog while I was babysitting. His name was Memphis. He was a twelve-year-old golden retriever. Aww. Good good boy. Good old boy. Yes. Yes. I don't know if I've talked about Titan on this podcast. I don't believe you have. Titan is a um, is a uh, French bulldog that works at my office. Um, his his owners are like sit nearby to the to where we work at the co-op space, um, and he's like super front heavy. He's got like real big arm muscles and like no hips, <laughs> and he's a little like grizzled. He's got a little bit of the white on his face and stuff, and he's oh. just the cutest thing. And Put him when on you, wheels. yeah, <laughs> when you when you pet him, he makes like. A, like very soft little snuffly noise like he's purring but it's because he can't quite breathe properly because oh, yeah. he's a French bulldog French bulldogs. I, I love French bulldogs though they're good good it's little cutest. boys yep yeah he's shame, shame about that. their whole respiratory uh, respiratory <laughs> track yeah. shame, shame how we like bred them to the point where they can no longer breed without human intervention yeah man that kind of shit is really fucked up. Like like spaniels, I think it's cocker spaniels, are bred to have small heads. So a lot of times their brains are too small for their skulls, and they just have seizures because their brains are like constantly being squozen by their skulls. That's awful. That's real yeah. bad. Yeah. <sighs> uh, French bulldogs, along with I think one or two other species, um, have been bred to be so front heavy that uh, males can't mount females because, like, the females' hips are not strong enough. Oh. So they can only breed through artificial insemination. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, you know, dog breeding is not super great, but, yeah. but yeah. dang, dang are those things cute. Yeah. They're worth, they're worth it. They're worth having to, like, swab out their face folds because they get infections and... And they snore because they don't breathe good. My my thought is like, I I would never buy a dog from a breeder. I think like it's it's super good to adopt because you know you're saving the life of a dog and there's so many dogs that need homes. Yeah. But I'm like also you know like if somebody has a a purebred dog, I'm like not gonna give them shit about it. I'm like okay, you know that's that's fine. I I will pet your dog. Yeah. I am not too aloof to pet your dog just because it's purebred. Yeah, that's like my my parents have had golden retrievers for a long time. I mean, apart from their two designer dogs, they have a golden retriever. And they, like, they buy those from breeders because they were, like, really worried about hip dysplasia, which, which, like, even with good breeding, they're gonna get hip dysplasia. Like, it it doesn't matter. (laughs) Like, it's gonna happen, but... So I could see it, but... I will still. Why you got it? That's why you got to get mutts. I know. Mutts are healthier. I'll still. I'll still always kind of side. Yeah, cats. <laughs> or cats. Yeah. I'm surprised my cat hasn't come over. He like, he was being a little demon earlier, and now he's just asleep. So I think he, yeah. I think he ran up his quota of, uh, being a shit. <laughs> ran it up early. Cashed out. Uh, uh, yeah, we haven't heard from Fliffo recently. He has not been a guest. As uh, as he usually is. He'll... Are you sure you haven't killed? No, he's, uh-huh. he's. I am. I can see him breathing over there. <laughs> on the pillow That's... that he sleeps on. I'm sure you can. I can. <laughs> that is such a real thing. The like staring at 
your pet until you like see that it's breathing just just in case. Oh yeah, and I mean he's old, he's real old. So I gotta like once a week, <laughs> once a week I think man he's been real quiet over there. Let me let me <laughs> let me just go like wake him up, and make sure. <clears throat> oh Cliffo. Oh yes. He will forever be the podcast cat in our hearts. It's true. Shall we talk about a game that we played? Let's do that. Sounds great. Alright. Since that's actually what this podcast does. Um, So, this week, or three weeks, we played uh, The Beginner's Guide, uh, which is a short game by Davey Reedon, who is the developer of um, The Stanley Parable, which I think probably has a greater notoriety overall than The Beginner's Guide does. Um, was released in 2015, which is two years later. Uh, and yeah, it's it's an interesting game. And if you have interest in it, this is one of those games that's like probably more interesting if you experience it without a lot of background and sort of form your own opinions of it. So I would recommend if you think that this is likely a game that you will be playing. Um, maybe come back and listen to the podcast later after you're done. Yeah, it's short. You can wait. Yeah, it's only an hour. It's only an hour and a half. Like yeah. it's it's not a long game. Like you know, play for an hour and a half and then come back and listen. Yeah. Um, because we're gonna spoil the heck out of it. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, this is a game. So you've you've been warned. Spoilers start now. Yes. Um, this is a game about game criticism. Um, and sort of about the relationship between artists and fans and the relationship between artists and their art. And it says a lot of things, but it's also very, very difficult to talk about critically because it has a lot of, like, not nice things necessarily to say about critics and about people reading too much into games. So I feel like anytime I'm about to make some kind of, like, grand statement about, you know, its intention or, you know, the nature of the game, like, I can see the game standing smugly in the corner, like, with its arms crossed (laughs) looking at me. Yeah, that's a fair... (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, so I guess, like, maybe a disclaimer to that end, like, everything that we're going to talk about, it's, it's a little bit awkward because the game is narrated by Davey, um, and who presents himself just as Davey, like, no, you know, no other name or anything. Um, but what we're really going to be talking about is the character of Davey as presented in the game, not any kind of real person, because we don't know this real person and all we have to go on is the work. I, yeah, I was, was going to suggest yes. instead of referring to Davy as Davy, we refer to Davy as the narrator. The narrator, Because that's yeah. what I sort of do anyway. Or yeah. Dave. Or, or Dave. Or David. Yeah. D-Man. <laughs> D-Man. <laughs> Old D-Money. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, so... The game follows the uh, the narrator, D-Man, uh, as he um, he intros it as like, hey, here are a bunch of games. This is like a collection of games that were made by a game designer that I really admire, and I want to show you these games and talk about them a little bit because 
I want to, you know, maybe help encourage the person who made them to get back into game design. Um, and the person is called Coda, and the, the entire game is just a collection of games ostensibly made by Coda, I, who I, whom I assume is fictional, uh, although may have a real-world analog, but again, you know, so, there is danger in making too many assumptions about <laughs> the real-world people involved here. Yeah, I've spent far too much time trying to look into this. Oh, yeah. Did you? When I played it the first time and now. And it's probably fictional and probably based off of Davy himself. Yeah, I and, that. and as well as maybe his, uh, he had a roommate. Okay. Yeah, there's. I mean, there is a there is a dedication at the end. It does say for R. Yeah, his um, name was Robin. Okay, and there's a uh, that like I feel like this is not a game I would want dedicated to me because like it only would say kind of bad things about my relationship with that person. Would it? Well, it's either like an apology. Um, or it's a like an indication that someone needs to back off. Like it's one of those two things. I feel like. So, I considered it like as an apology and a sort of like trying to show how much you like sort of that person's ideas. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> the the. Um... <laughs> to return to actually what the game is. Yeah. Um, so the, the arc of the game is that you go through these series of Coda's games with uh, the narrator talking about them. Um, and the narrator presents for each one their sort of like what they think Coda was trying to get across or what they think was going through Coda's head with each of these games. Uh, and at first, it's sort of like an interesting, um, you know, like, okay, that's an interesting reading of this. I could, you know, I could believe that, like, it makes sense. And then the, as you go on, it gets a little, I feel like it gets a little more far-fetched, where you think, like, okay, maybe he's, like, over-reading some of these things. Maybe he's reading a little too much into something that doesn't actually seem like it has that meaning. Uh, and then by the end of the game, you learn that actually the narrator has become so obsessed with Coda's games uh, that he is deliberately going against Coda's wishes uh, in, like, Coda specifically asked him not to show these games to people. Uh, and also he's been changing the games. Like, he's been adding his own things and pretending that they're Coda's decisions, which is, like, not cool. Yeah. And there's so it becomes more and more clear that this is actually not about Coda at all, but about the narrator and the narrator's like need for attention and the narrator's inability to define themselves outside of this person's artwork. Um, and it becomes kind of like really sad and also kind of angering in some way. Like I, I really felt for Coda by the end of this. There's maybe an argument about whether. Um, the narrator is supposed to be the sympathetic character or whether Coda is supposed to be the sympathetic character. Uh, I fall pretty heavily on, on Coda's side on this one. Um, but I could, but I under, I also understand a little bit where the narrator is coming from. Yeah. So I'm the opposite. Really? I really? totally felt for the narrator. narrator. <laughs> Interesting. Mainly, mainly, mainly because he was the focus of the story. 
Yeah, that's fair. I think I I feel like I I I relate strongly to Coda, um, as a game designer and as someone who has been like to a game school and had these conversations about like should games be playable, which is a hilarious. <laughs> that's a that's a um, the narrator says that like yeah Coda and I had a conversation about like should. Do games have to be playable? Should games be playable? And I was like, yeah, games should be playable, but Coda disagrees. And, then... and a lot of a lot of Coda's games are not very playable. Like, there's, you know, like, frustrating things, things that slow you down practically infinitely, things that don't make any sense. You're uh, stuck in a prison cell for an hour. Yeah. The invisible maze. And then, and then of course, the... the um the alleged aftermath of that argument between the narrator and Coda was that Coda, uh, like a week later, sends the narrator a folder full of games that is just wander around in a in an empty box, and the folder is entitled Playable Games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. See, it's funny because um, I think like, there's a, there's a clear point where where you sort of see the narrator as having been in the wrong. Like, there's one very specific point that says, by the way, the narrator has been, like, maybe not necessarily intentionally misleading us as the audience, but the narrator has been probably overstepping his bounds in his relationship with Coda. Um, Which is funny because from almost the very beginning... I was like, man, I don't like this narrator. I don't like what he's doing because I identified way too hard with Coda. <laughs> yeah. So, um, the yeah. So maybe we should go through like what the games are one by one. Yeah. I mean... um, the, what's also funny to me is that like the oh, games, Coda, the games Coda makes are um, like a lot of them are kind of like you know first year game student like experimental games sort of things. Um, where it's like, yeah, what would, like, there's definitely some stuff in the prison levels where it's like, I, I know, like, I know people who made shit exactly like this. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of, uh, but we'll get there, we'll get there. So So, it starts with uh, the Counter-Strike level, right? Yeah, I've got a list of, of all the levels up, so if we, if we get lost, I got them. Okay, so first level is, like, a Counter-Strike map, which is, like, the intro, um, which is just, like, a really boring little desert box with some, like, weird colored cubes hanging in certain areas. And the narrator makes some grand statement about what the meaning of the colored cubes are, um, about how, like, Coda wanted you to know that, like, the game was designed by a real person, so he put in these things that like to remind you that like it's not a real space and I'm like okay sure I mean this looks like every like 14 year old's first uh, level but sure why not yeah and we also get a little more insight into like who Coda is here um, that that Coda is reclusive and very solitary and Coda like doesn't show his games to anybody like he had a, a, a sort of inside joke with himself where he renamed his recycle bin, like, important games or something, because he just made them and then threw them away. Yeah. So these are, so right away we get this kind of indication that, like, Coda is not intending for anyone to, like, read into these games. Coda is just making games to make games and then throw them out. 
Yeah. That doesn't like there there could still be a meaning behind the game. Yeah, exactly. Yes, but there's yes, it's not supposed to be someone looking at the game. Yeah, the, yeah, they're not they were not intended necessarily for like an audience consumption. They're mostly from inside Coda's head, and that is the space that we're exploring a little bit. Yes. Um or at least that's the space that the narrator thinks that he is exploring. Yeah. Um so the second game is the spaceship game? Yeah. Uh, Escape from Whisper. That's right. There's like some kind of whisper machine, um, and the uh, <clears throat> that there's like some narrative about a spaceship that's not clearly explained, uh, where you're escaping from something called the whisper machine, and you go through. You have a gun, um, but you can't. Do any like you can fire the gun until it's empty and then you can't do anything with the gun. But there's no enemies anywhere in the game, so that's okay. Um, so you just wander through the space station um, until you come to a labyrinth. Uh, and Coda or uh, the narrator makes a like a you know comment about like oh yeah no I don't know why there's a labyrinth on the space station but whatever I'll just like make it so that you can hit a button uh, and get the end. And that is the first time that uh, the narrator like explicitly undermines Coda's design, right? Because Coda here Coda has made a game that is like has some kind of trickiness or difficult to play part, and the narrator is just skipping you past that part, mm-hmm. which he will do often throughout this game. I would say this game is the one to me that really looks like a first year design student. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. It has this, it has that kind of feel to it. Um, it's really it actually really does feel very um, kind of adorably and nostalgically like you know games designed by someone who is like earnestly learning how to design games, which I really like. Who has um, so earnestly decided on that exact day that they want to start designing games? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe a little. Um, so the someone who's like you know teaching themselves the the epic engine or whatever or the unreal engine mm-hmm. uh, source engine. yeah source engine in this case yeah source um so the after you get uh after the narrator skips you out of the labyrinth um you get to a beam and the there's like a voice a story voice and and also i should mention here the narrator is very flippant about the fact that there's a story involved here. He's like, oh yeah, there's some kind of story about a spaceship, or I don't really know. And like, really sort of dismisses it out of hand. Um, but yeah, so you get to you get to this beam, and the character tells you, some like disembodied voice tells you, like, you have to step into the beam and sacrifice yourself to save us all. Um, and then you do, and you die. And then... Uh, the narrator tells you, like, but actually, the first time Coda ran this, like, here's what happens, and you replay the sequence, and instead of dying when you hit the beam, you just get, like, slowly lifted up through the ceiling of the level, so you can see the entire level, including, like, the little maze that was in there earlier, and you get, like, a very different perspective in it. Uh, mm-hmm. or very different perspective of it. And then it's like, yeah, no, like this is going to be a theme in Coda's work is about, you know, like seeing, you know, like seeing these things from this perspective and and so on. Also, uh, the um, this is just like a, an aside that probably isn't important, but I notice it. Um, 
so the voice that tells you like you have to like stop the machine you can sacrifice yourself and stop the machine is a woman's voice yes and you have you have the same conspiracy theory i do yes and (laughs) there are multiple other um instances which i guess we'll get to later where um like throughout the entire game we are coda is is explicitly referred to as being a male person but i don't know if that's necessarily the case I agree. I agree. This is totally my conspiracy okay. theory. I think Good. Coda is a female designer. So do I. Uh, and I think Davy is lying about having met Coda. Yeah. There's a part where, where, where like the narrator mentions having gone to Coda's house, but it's like, if you're, I mean, I guess ostensibly you could be using their like handle to preserve their anonymity, but I feel like if you're on intimate enough terms with someone to go to their house, uh, you would be using their name. You would be using their name. Uh, and you would probably have like a better relationship with them. Yeah, uh... and there's a lot of there's a lot of hints. So there's a anytime we explicitly see a person who is not one of the cube head people, which we'll talk about, that person is always female. Yes. Anytime a specific person is referred to, that person is always female. And anytime there is a voice or human audio in the game, it is female. Yeah. Except for the narrator. Twice. Uh, so the the instances I can think of are this voice. Um, there's a crying woman in one of the prisons who's yeah. the only person that you see, the only modeled figure with a head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the... There's uh, when you're when you're walking down to interrogate the machine, the crowd members refer to you as ma'am, uh, and the backwards game refers to a female, uh, like. Like it tells a story about a female person. Yeah, and and in the island yeah. game where at the end you're breaking down the walls, the the sound that gets increasingly louder is like filtered sound of a woman crying. Yeah. So. Yeah, but that's the same as the woman in the prison. Yeah, that is the the woman in the prison. It's but it's both a a female model and a female voice in that scenario. So, yeah. okay, conspiracy confirmed. <laughs> it's canon. <laughs> no, I know. Uh, but it's it is just something this that I so noticed. You you don't you didn't see it. This like seemed to me like it was intentionally planted. But this is I one mean, of those things that's like hard to tell what's intentional and what's like inviting you to try and read too much into the game. I see yeah. that the player character is definitely a woman. Mm-hmm. But you don't think Coda is. I don't think Coda is. Okay. I also found that the also the... maybe because I'm I'm like always super naive and I just trust everything anyone says. <laughs> That's fair. I, I I just accept anything I hear. But we explicitly know that Davy has lied to us. It gets established that Davy has lied, so we know Davy is not reliable. So that opens up the question of like, well, yeah, what but... else has he lied about? I to me it doesn't. It's just like when no. he lies, I understand he lied. Okay. Okay. And the, the other things are still, they're still true until proven otherwise. Okay. Yeah. That's the thing, like, it's really circumstantial, but I also have a hard time believing that a person making, like, basically their first game would go out and find someone else to record VO for them. Um, yeah. That's like, that's like the biggest, uh, the biggest, I guess, uh, like, confirmation bias of this theory is is yeah. the voiceover in the Whisper Drive game, but you know. I, I also so I have uh, another con- uh, conspiracy theory that explains this. 
Oh. Okay. Davy made all of these games. Yes. <laughs> I mean, like, that's, after. That's like, possible. For the, for the purpose of this. Even if code is real or not, Davy made these games. I, I can see that, but I, I don't know if, uh, like, that doesn't explain how upset Davy gets at the end. Yeah. I, I also, and this is, like, the most circumstantial evidence of all, but I really found on the very last level the relationship between, like, the way the narrator talks and the way Coda responds to the narrator and the, the things that Coda says to him, like, felt to me, a, like, very familiar in terms of the way that female devs are harassed by male gamers. Like, it, it's, it seems, like, very common that, um, like, male gamers do not properly understand the boundaries set by female devs. And, again, that's, like, incredibly circumstantial. Obviously, then, like, there can be cases where, you know, male devs don't understand, or, like, you know, uh, gamers don't understand the, the boundaries for male devs either. Like, obviously, that's a thing that can happen. But something about that just, like felt like it connected well with that theory in my mind. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I didn't I, I didn't I, I didn't I didn't think about it too much from that lens. I I just like sort of corroborated all of the little bits of evidence. But that yeah. I mean that does make sense as as sort of an indictment against that behavior, but And there are literally no male voices or male Model, fully modeled characters in any of these games. Yeah, but the sample of... size is way too small. Uh, to maybe. Alright, let's continue with the... Uh... Yes, let's continue. <laughs> yeah. We're only on the second one. Yeah, right? We got we got uh, a lot. Right, so this, so after after that one, is that is the next one the backwards game? Yes. Yeah, so the next one is the one, is one where like, you can only move backwards, so you can like um, you can turn the camera any way you want, but you can only walk backwards compared to which way you're facing. And there's a, a lot of stuff um, where the game changes behind you, like as you're not looking, um, or, or text appears on walls that you only see as you're passing it because of the way you're facing. And it's sort of an interesting experiment. Again, it feels very much like a like a student sort of game. Uh, yeah, I think this like is. <laughs> level up. Yeah. This is like a cute, fun idea. Maybe yeah. not executed perfectly, but yeah, yeah this is like a, it has someone, some solid ideas. Yeah, this is like someone had an interesting concept and wanted to make like a like a proof of concept. Like this is the sort of thing that you would design in school and then you go on to build antechamber like five years later or something. Yeah. Right? It, to me, the way I see it is like the whisper drive is like um babies first, I want to be AAA game dev and make FPS games. Backwards is babies first, I want to be indie darling, make art games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's it's cute. It's short and sweet. Um, it does tell, like, all the writing on the wall is about, uh, is about a female character. So it says something like, uh, her journey was just starting. Uh, or, like, how could she possibly find her uh, way without... I have the text. If you want oh, me to cool. read it, um, sure. So the first thing is you you you're in like a brick room, and 
there's a hallway in front of you, but you can't move forward. So you flip yourself around, and the text that's on the wall behind you is, uh, the past was behind her. And then you sort of continue to progress through, and the words appear like on the environment, on the walls. So the past was behind her, uh, but the future could not be seen. Why does the future keep changing? When she stops and looks, it becomes clearer. But if the future was always behind her, how will she find the strength to confront it? Okay. Yeah, so it's it's one of those things that sounds deep, but really doesn't mean that much. Yeah. Um, but it was, but it's coupled with kind of a cool mechanic, uh, and you know the theme of it matches the the theme of the mechanic, which is not being able to see where you're going. Um, also, so it's so it's good. Apparently, there's an Easter egg. If you no clip, there will be a room, and the text in the room will say the future wasn't over here either, which I didn't know <laughs> about. I I. I sort of considered playing around with console commands and, and no clip and stuff, but I never actually did any of that. I bet, so. there's, I bet there's a lot of interesting stuff hidden, because we see only what the narrator shows us. Yeah. But we've already seen that there's lots of hidden and weird and inaccessible things in Coda's games. So I would be not surprised to find that there was actually a lot of stuff that you could find with no clip and, yeah. uh, and breaking it on your own. Yeah. We'll see. I'll keep an eye on the wiki, which is what I'm using. Yeah. So, so is is the third one the stairs? The third one is, is the, the entering. The entering way, which is so. This this is the first of a pair of games where I think literally all you do is you like walk forward and there's a sign that says like now entering or something like that, mm -hmm. and then that's the whole thing. Yeah. Basically, you're like on a, a gravel path. And the environment is completely dark, and you have, like, an emitter of a certain radius that lets you see, you know, X steps in front of you, and you just walk forward, and you see the sign. And that's it. <laughs> that's the whole thing. And the narrator says, like, look, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense now, but I'll tell you more about it later. Yeah. So. Which, the payoff is not very good. The payoff is not very good at all. So. Um, yeah, so the, uh... The next game is the stairs game. Yes. So it's like an open area. There's a like a big old flight of stairs on the side of a building going towards um, a like an open door. Um, but as you climb up the stairs, you get you go slower and slower and slower so that you're sort of like infinitely approaching the door. I don't know if you can eventually reach it. Uh, you can. Okay. I did once just to see. Just to see. Yes. Uh, and this is the this is the second time that the narrator overrides the design of the game and says like, oh, you know, like rather than make you, you know, walk all the way there uh, when you're moving this slow, I'm just gonna if you press spacebar, you can just move at normal speed. Um, That's actually such a big difference that you can actually reach the room. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it turns it to, from an unplayable game to a playable game. Yeah. Yeah. And once you reach the top of the stairs, it gets you back to normal speed, so you don't have to you you don't have to deal with um, being at that that almost non-speed for very or past that point, I guess. Yeah. So, so uh, I suffer. Can I say how, how scary? Like the notes in that room, it's so similar to my notes <laughs> and, like spread around. Oh man, some of those notes are absolutely priceless. So the, the room is full of, like, just the air is full of text about, like, game design ideas. And some of them are just so dumb. Um, I think but, my like, shark's good. trying to eat you while you're trying to eat the sharks. I, yes. I also have a list of all those if we want to go through them, but we oh don't, we God, don't have yes. to. So 
my, my favorite one is, uh, I think it's like, stand on an X and stare at a bear for three hours. My, my favorite one was, um, you're on a boat and you have to take orders from the captain, but the captain is always wrong. Yeah, like, that could be a fun game. I could see that being interesting. Yeah. But this is, like, the sort of brainstorming, again, that you do as, in, like, a game design school. So read, read some of the other ones. Okay. Um, a game of only motivational posters played one after the other while the player cannot move. A game of only posters and concept art showing what the game is intended to be. A game where you collect items, except the game automatically quits when you collect them all. Uh, a key in one game unlocks a door in a completely separate game. A normal game where you have to scream into the mic every 15 seconds to keep playing. I like that one too. <laughs> yeah. so, I think I've made both the key game and the screaming game. <laughs> I was going to say, the screaming game sounds like sounds familiar. Uh, to something that you have mentioned before. Um, uh, a series of lavish manuals come with the game, giving you incorrect instructions on how to play. Um, I'm gonna skip a bunch. Uh, play as... Uh, the bear... You actually were, like, exactly right. Stand on an X staring at a bear for three hours. Nice. Um, you are a gate. Uh... Play as a camera filming an advertisement, walking around the set filming whatever you like. Uh, a button you press to stop the chaos, it doesn't work. So, uh, this <laughs> is standard parable. Yeah, the there's one that is noted as being reminiscent of Stanley Parable's phone ending, which is uh, press U to surrender. Uh, oh, this one actually comes back later. You must address and rally a group of eager press reporters. Uh, you construct a wall. The wall is destroyed. You are given a medal. Uh, you play as a loud, bodiless sound walking around, confusing people. I love that one. Uh, you run- this I one's- would make that game. Yeah, this one's uh, dark. You run around. You run a shop inside your body, selling your organs strategically to make the most money before you die. Uh, you start in a small room until you realize you can just walk through the walls. That one sounds like the next one. Uh, you walk around talking people down from pursuing their hopes and dreams. Um, so, 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 <laughs> I want to make that game. Yeah, this is, so these are the sorts of ideas that uh, that Coda has. Um, so again, yeah, some of them, we, we see end up seeing a lot of games that are, if not exactly these ideas, similar to these ideas. Uh, which is kind of great. And they're of varying quality. Some of them you feel like, oh, you could make a really interesting game out of that. And some of them you go like, oh, you could make a really unplayable game. <laughs> Actually, the, um, the, the key in one game unlocks a door in a separate game is, uh, that comes back. So remind me, remind me, uh, because that does come back in this game I'm seeing on the wiki. There's also a couple of nice little things, like there's some Easter eggs that I didn't know about, but one thing, um, in this one that I did see, which isn't actually an Easter egg, but like the this game is like on a flat plane. There's a bunch of large rectangular buildings, and then in the center is the staircase. And my natural inclination was like, let's go explore this field. And of course, you get a bit of dialogue that says like, I know it's tempting, but there's really nothing over there. Over there, sorry. And yeah, if in in the spaceship one, if you wait before going into the beam, the narrator says like. This, unfortunately, this is not actually, like, a decision point. It, it, nothing happens if you just wait. Yeah. 
And you can turn around when he teleports you out of the labyrinth and says, or you can solve it yourself if you want. You can do that. That's fine. <laughs> um, so, okay, Easter eggs. Uh, if you walk behind the tower with the stairs and stand in the corner of the world, you hear a strange echoing voice saying something ending with, do you understand and come here, cutie? The sound does not loop. Uh, from that corner, if you turn left and stand in the next corner of the world, you'll hear angelic voices singing. So, that's, that doesn't, like, there's no other links there. I don't know if that leads to anything, but it's just the thing. So. Yeah. Oh, I probably, we probably should have mentioned in the spaceship level, there's, like, some indications of things that the narrator holds up as, like, intentional, but just look like, like, poor design, or, like, unfinished design. Uh, specifically, there's like a rock that's floating in the air towards the beginning, blocking away. And there's another area where if you like go all the way up and press your face against the window, you can see the bottom of the skybox. Yeah. Uh, so like the space, space yeah. field, star field. I wrote that in my notes, so like it was very quick to like call a lot of games finished. Like that's <laughs> how they were supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, I guess from, like, an extreme entry-level, like, point of view, there there are, I'm assuming, a ton of things that you could leave in, like, the skybox is one especially, um, that you could leave in and still get to the end of the project and think, yes, I've done a good job and I'm happy with my work. And there's, I mean, not that there's anything wrong with that, that's just, like, the learning process. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. just don't feel like they were intended to be made as like finished released games yeah. they were just kind of in progress projects that got halted <laughs> as they as the like other more interesting things came up yeah as i as will say however like the entering and the room these have like clear finishes mm -hmm. yeah yeah because you were just trying to make something small and you made the small thing and there you go you've made the small thing yep um, so yeah, so you, once you've seen all the like fun, weird ideas in the room, um, then the game ends. I forget which one is next. The next one it's is the house, the puzzle door. For you. Is that the house? No, that's not the house. That's the um. It's the one with the puzzle door, and then he takes the walls away. Yeah. That's, oh, I mean, that's not it, the house. You start outside the house, and then you go down the cellar. Uh, nope, know. that's later. Is it? Oh, it is. Maybe. It is later. <laughs> okay, I but, trust you. But you're, no, I you're... don't remember this one. So it's basically it's the first instance of the door puzzle. So you basically just walk through a corridor. Um, you get to a door. There's a lever. You pull the lever. There's a black space and another door. Um, and this is like a puzzle that you'll see multiple times throughout the rest of the game. Um. So the solution is you go back outside, pull the lever, run into the black space before the door closes, and then after the door closes, a lever appears, which opens the second door. And that's yeah, the, the end of the, it? The yeah. second level is on the back of the, the first door, yeah. so you can't see it until the door is closed. So if you leave the door open and go into the black space, it looks like there's no other lever. Mm -hmm. But if you like trap yourself in the black space, then there is a lever to get forward. Yeah. Um, so after you solve that puzzle, you're just in basically a blank room, and this is where the narrator says, like, 
you think there's nothing else here, but I'm going to take the walls away and and you'll see. Oh yeah. And so he takes the walls away and there's like just an infinite branch of corridors in all directions at all heights, like leading off into essentially infinity. Um which of other switches and other doors and other like identical iterations of this. Yeah, just like hallways and stairwells and, and everything. It looks really cool. It um, does. Yeah. And I don't know, the narrator sort of takes this as like the counterpoint to the stairs, which is like the stairs he interprets as uh Coda seems very cold from the outside, um and hard to approach based on like the the slowing on the staircase but then once you get to know him he's very warm and inviting and has all these great ideas and is totally willing to share them and then this is like the counterpoint where i don't know you you like think that you have come to know coda but there's so much more that you like haven't and cannot see uh i guess i don't know (laughs) this is like an instance of maybe reading too much into it but Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. So. So yeah. So that's the first instance of the door puzzle, and it's very important uh, for the arc of the game that you get trained on this door puzzle because you see it a bunch of times, and there is at least one part towards the end that relies on subverting your expectations of the door puzzle. Mm-hmm. So that's important that they establish it as a pattern early. Yes, and then the next one is uh, the counterpoint to entering, which is exiting. Which is the same game, except the sign now says, uh, you are now exiting. Yep. And then you're done. Yeah. That's the, that's it. That's the payoff to, yeah. so, <laughs> to the first one. So, so then the narrator comes back and says, okay, this is what I think this means. I believe, oh, the cat's here, sorry. Uh, I believe <laughs> that's that. That's not what he believes. Yeah. <laughs> I believe that Coda, uh, sees his games as being thematically linked and the entering and exiting games are an indication that that the uh, the stairs and the puzzle game were like part of a thematic set, and now that thematic set is over. Mm-hmm. So, yes. This sounds so much like something you would say, like when you were like bullshit brainstorming ideas. Like, okay, what if we made a game? What if you make like a game that's like now entering and but it doesn't have anything else and then like two years later you make a game that's like now exiting and that would fuck with people so much <laughs> you know what I mean yeah uh, okay the next one is the one with the house that's downward down or something yeah. Like that? yeah down yeah so there's like a, a weird like it's a house or like possibly a cafe um, like a little out, outward building and then you just there's a staircase that leads down and it just goes down and down and down into all kinds of like different spit looking spaces, including like a big, like abstract geometric shapes and like the prison with where the, uh, the argument about should games be playable occurs. There's a, a segment where you walk through a prison and you end up in a prison cell. And uh, according to the narrator, the cell, the door stays shut for an hour. And then after that hour has elapsed, you're free to move around again. Yeah. Yeah. The, the only way to go forward is to, is to walk into a cell and let it close behind you. 
and then you're stuck there for theoretically an hour. But of course, once again, the narrator undermines that and says, like, uh, you know, I don't think it's worth your time to wait here for an hour, so uh, I'm just going to skip you past this part. Which, I mean, obviously is good design for the beginner's guide, because you don't, like, nobody's going to play it if it involves things like sitting in a room for an hour. Yeah. But it it's also, like, establishes that whatever it was that Coda intended to be the experience of playing this game, uh, the narrator's not actually interested in you having that experience. Yeah. The yeah. narrator is interested in you hearing what the narrator has to say about the experience. Or what, like, Coda has to say about the experience. What yeah. the narrator thinks Coda has to say about the experience. Yes. Because, again, if you're not experiencing the game as designed, you're not actually experiencing what Coda is really saying. Mm-hmm. Which, I, I think the, the argument about uh, playable games is interesting to me, given that there's a lot of that kind of bullshit in the Stanley Parable for specific yeah. endings, um, and I don't know, I don't know if that... Yeah, like, you have to go keep pressing this button for four hours or whatever. Yeah, and, and I don't know if that was, like, Davy Reedens' idea, or if that was, um, who, what's the other guy's name? Hang on. Hang on. There's another guy. William Pugh? Yeah, Willie, the guy, yeah, who also made, um, Dr. Langeskov the tiger and uh, the, yeah. the terribly cursed emerald. Um, so I don't know. Oh, I mean, heist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, that's the rest of it. So, like, I don't know if, if this was based on an argument from there or if, if, but that, <laughs> that struck me as humorous. So this is absolutely a conversation I had with friends in, in school. Uh, we, we proposed the idea of a, what we called a series of, um, games of futility, which were, like, games that, like, not necessarily unplayable, but just that there's, like, no fucking reason to play them. So uh, the one that I remember was, uh, was, like, dirt, dirt farming. Um, so it was, like, farm build where you, like, you get a patch of dirt, and then you just come back to it every day, and it's still a patch of dirt. <laughs> I like it. And we're like, we should we should release a short game collection called Games of Futility that's just these kind of stupid ideas. So like this is not this is not something that doesn't occur to game designers. This is like absolutely how game designers think. Yeah. Sorry, kitty. Which I found I found really kind of adorable. <laughs> like, oh yeah, no, I've been there. I've had that conversation. Should games be playable? I feel like most like eventually, most game designers get to the point of, well, yes, games should be playable. <laughs> I'm at the point of no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, but ah. I, I feel like it doesn't have to be playable, but no one's gonna play it. <laughs> yeah, it's not playable. Yeah, it, you have to understand that so if you it doesn't have to be. Yeah, to me, it, it always sort of comes back to like yeah. the the infamous uh, mission in Spec Ops: The Line where the game literally forces you to, I think it's like, to use, like, white phosphorus on, uh, on, you know, whoever you're fighting against. civilians or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then, like, I, and I've had this conversation with my boyfriend, uh, long conversations about it, where he tried to do it without doing that, and the game just literally spawns grenades in, like, right on top of you. Um, like, inside of buildings where there is no way that a grenade could get to you, it just spawns them in. It makes it literally impossible for you to not do it that way. So it, it funnels you into doing the bad thing and then says, why did you do the bad thing? Shame, yeah. shame. 
And then, like, the developers were like, well, you could have stopped playing. Like, that's... Oh. I think Huck did mm. stop playing the game at that point. <laughs> He's like, alright, I'm done. I like, hate this argument about agency in games and the idea that stop playing a game yeah, like is that, a valid agency. That's yeah. the thing, yeah, like, that's the thing. It's like, I, I actually don't mind as much if the game is unplayable but if it's playable but the game still wants me to stop playing it that's that's what i like have problems with it i guess that was that was also a thing that you could do in the stanley parable there's one ending where you're like going towards crushers and the narrator says like the only thing you can do is to stop playing and that would save him from his fate um and they may have, like, modified that ending in the final version, but when I played it at Indicate, I absolutely just turned off the game there. And I'm like, you told me I could turn off the game there, so I did. Yeah. It doesn't feel as bad in the Stanley Parable because there's, like, a bunch of endings, so... Yeah, and, and it's such a meta game. Yeah. Like, you know the game is, like, trying to play with you in this space, um, which is not really the way it feels with Spec Ops. Yeah. Well, I will say, I'm okay with games having no agency yeah i just think it's bullshit that that it funnels you into doing the bad thing and then tries to make you feel bad for doing the bad thing that it made you do like that's yeah. stupid uh, you deserve it <laughs> you play the game how dare you play a game yeah uh, i mean i think it's i think it is probably like it is an interesting commentary on like hey, you made a decision to play a game where the solutions are going to, where, you know, where the solution to the problem is generally violence. Like, are you just ubiquitously okay with that? Um, like, I think there maybe is something interesting to be mined from that question. I'm not sure if Spec Ops did it as well as could be done, but I, I didn't. I haven't actually played it myself, so yeah, I don't know. probably not. The, the, the impression that I get is that you should be able to skill your way through it without, without that. But the game doesn't let you skill your way through it. Like, it's yeah. supposed to be a, a... You could do the easy thing, which is morally bad, or you could do the difficult, frustrating thing, which is morally less bad, because you're still killing people, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, anyway. but they're bad guys, right? And you're not torturing them. Probably. I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, what were we on? The, the, the prison, yeah. So... Uh, so... You get through the prison, and you come to the door solution again. Um, yep. Yeah, so door puzzle. And then you come to the room with the your first square head people, right? Yes. Yeah, so Coda likes to make people models of people where they, the body is like an unfinished model of a person, but the head is just a big cube, and that cube just like turns around so that the like the thing facing you is the thing that the character is doing. In this case, I think it's, like, talk or listen or something like that. Yeah. I love these guys. I like, <laughs> I like them, too. They're yeah. so cute, and they're so... I don't know. I, I just love the idea of the cute people. Yeah, yeah, they're a little disconcerting. Like, they have some uncanny valley kind of element to them. But, again, they also feel very much like a... Like something, you you know, that an art student would make. That, you know, like, as someone who's trying to say, like, all right, what's an interesting way to represent people? Um, and this maybe is a good time to, to bring up another game that uh, reminded me. So among the weird bullshit that we did it, at USC, someone made a game uh, 
uh, our classmate Ed made a game where you're just like on a big like winding red path and the sky is full of eyeballs of different sizes and the eyeballs just always turn to follow you no matter where you are on the path. Uh, <laughs> That's the whole game. Spooky. Um, another person did a game which had a lot of like roaming around uh, like a weird you know just uh, like pretty boxy urban looking environment um, but the the skybox was a font file um, <laughs> which created a really weird effect where there was just like text in the sky that would like blur and deform every time the camera strafed across it because you're not supposed to be able to use a font file as a text box or as a <laughs> skybox um, and you know like weird shit like that so this is full of weird shit like that yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So, so the the people, the cubehead people, ask you like, "Where did you come from? Do you know the solution to the puzzle? Like, if you know the solution to the puzzle, you should tell us the solution to the puzzle so we can get out of here." Um, and I forget how you respond to that. There, there are a lot of varying responses that that end up with like varying uh, ends of the dialogue, but ultimately, uh, what happens is a door opens up. And you go through another corridor, which gets you into an identical room with an identical set of people, and you have to talk to them again about the puzzle. Yeah. Uh. And then, and then what happens? Oh, and then after that, it opens up into the courtyard, which is like the first place that you see the lamppost. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And that's the so- end. Yeah, so there's an open space, and there is a lit lamp post at the end, and <clears throat> the narrator harps on the importance of this lamp post. Like, this is, like, significant, because every game from here on out will end with this lamp post, this exact lamp post. And I think, like, Coda is trying to say this with the lamp post, um, and trying to, you know, like, co- this is what I think the lamp post communicates or symbolizes. I forget what uh, what the lamp post supposedly symbolizes. Um... Now he wants something to hold on to. He wants a reference point. He wants the work to be leading to something. He wants a destination, which is what this lamppost is. It's a destination. Okay. So, yeah, like, so that's, that is the narrator's interpretation of the lamppost. But it also comes back into like one of the ending discussions between Coda and the narrator, right? Yeah. Because you, it's like something, I put this lamppost for you. Or yeah, something like the, that. The, the implication is because it's true. We do see the lamppost in the ending of every game. Uh, every game that we see from here on out, I believe. Um, yeah. But then at the very end, the implication is that the narrator has been adding the lamppost to yeah. the games that they did not exist there before. Like they they were not put there by Coda. They were put there oh, by the is narrator. That the implication. Yeah. No, the, I the, thought the implication the... was that Coda was sort of like inspired or no. felt like he had to put them there for No, Coda in the in the end part, which we'll get to, but Coda explicitly asks Davy to stop putting lampposts in the game. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. It's like uh, I, I would still, you please stop putting lampposts my argument is valid. That his actions sort of made him put lamppost himself in the game. Um, 
I mean, maybe like I'm I'm sure I'm sure the the narrator has a reason for doing it, but it is it's like clearly the narrator's actions that caused the lamppost to be there, not like it's not part of Coda's original design of these games. I'm not sure I agree. That that does seem to be the literal writing on the wall in the last. Yeah, if if, if you read like literally, sure. Yeah, I guess. Carl, you already said that you believe everything anyone tells you. Yeah, I, I believe someone put lampposts in the game. Okay, that's, well, I mean, someone must yeah, have. I, it depends on if you believe the text in the on the wall in the last part was written by Coda or was is, has been added also by the narrator, I guess. Um, but at any rate, so first appearance of the lamppost, lamppost is there. Game ends. Then what's the next one? Notes. Are we at, the next are we at one the is notes. No, the next one is notes. With all the little, uh, the the, the oh, game that is, uh, air quotes, bobbles. yeah, air quotes connected to the internet. Yeah. <clears throat> so the game claims that it's at the beginning that it's connected to the internet, and there's a whole bunch of like little bubbles. It's like you can leave notes, uh, for for you know p- other people to find. It's like Dark and Souls. So the, yeah, and so the. The uh, game is just like absolutely littered with these notes that are, of course, all pre-written, uh, and you can't actually leave any notes. And it's a, like a, a mixture of, you know, things people would say in games and like little like poetic snippets and just a whole bunch of different stuff. Um, this is the game that made me think most that um, about like how this game is actually really interesting to view from a through a lens of postmodernism, uh, but we can save that for after we're done with uh, with going over what all the, the different levels are. Yeah. Uh, this was the game that solidified it for me that the narrator uh, was maybe not being as helpful as he thought in dealing with Coda and Coda's uh, quirks. Um what was I, what, uh, this is also what? where this is also where the narrator claims to have met Coda. Yeah, this is um, the narrator says like I first met Coda at a game jam, at something something, um, and I was like so impressed. I was like in awe of him. Yeah, and I I, I as as established as we've established, I believe this is a lie, at, or at the very least that they did not meet in person, that they met like virtually. Yeah, um, at, at least at least the narrator does acknowledge that he was being really pushy about trying yeah. to befriend Coda. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that definitely uh, lends that credence. Also, this is where... Uh, and by the way, I didn't, like, discover this. I just wrote it on the wiki. This is where we in, uh, encounter the key that unlocks a door in another game. Oh, interesting. Mm. Yes. Uh, it's the note... Which I think shows up twice. I remember seeing it twice, because yes, I did read all of the notes. Uh, there, are, <laughs> yeah, there so are a lot of them. Uh, but the note that says "Devil Tower Star." So, we'll come back to that. Um, yes, I thought that note looked weird. So did I. Yeah. I know. I, I know. Remember it looking weird. Yeah, I I was like that seems suspicious, but. At any rate, the game is essentially a long corridor. Um, and you just go through and read all these notes. And you go through and read all the notes, and there's a, uh, a door puzzle. And a lamppost. Mm-hmm. 
and that's about it. And and the narrators. Uh... And there's like some weird stuff you pass. Like there's some interesting spaces you pass through, like these weird caverns, and there's like a giant painting at one point that's like. Um... Wait, isn't this the level with the typewriters? Yes. Yeah. The oh, typewriter this, yeah. At the very end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's. Oh, there's like there's like a, a lot of the notes are also talking about what they think the interpretation of the game is, uh, and like it, with the painting, there's one that says like it's it doesn't make sense from close up, but it does like like it looks like the painting means something from far away, but you it's up close, it's just a bunch of like meaningless dots, right? That's the point. Yeah. And then there's like another one that says like actually like spoilers, there is no point. Like this is entirely pointless. Or or the extremely. The extremely mean one was like, this is a bunch of pretentious bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, and there's Which also... Yeah. And there's also uh, paths, like, off in the distance that have the little note markers on them, but they're not accessible at all. Which I wonder if there's a way that you, Like, I wonder if you can no-clip over to them. Yeah, you, you probably can. And they probably say something. Uh... The, the wiki say? Oh, hey! Okay. Two things. The inaccessible notes actually contain no messages, and this can be verified in no-clip mode. One note, which reads, Do you feel like a hero yet? is likely a reference to the 2012 game Spec Ops, The Line. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There we go. We're on the, we're on the right track. Um, we're laying up what's being... We're, we're picking up what's being put down. Here. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So, yeah, this is where I started... So, mm-hmm. wait, this is interesting if that's true. Because I mean, yeah, I don't know if it's true, because this is like a wiki entry, but... Yeah, sure, but let's assume it's true. Yes. Because Coda's games is between 2008 and 2011. Yes. Yeah. So this is before Spec Ops. Yes. Yeah. So if it if it is a reference to Spec Ops The Line, it's a reference by the, you know, uh, non-diegetic Davy making uh, beginner's guide, not diegetically by code by Coda. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, th- this is this is where I like really got the sense of like I don't like the narrator because this is where the narrator starts getting really presumptuous about Coda's emotions and motivations and basically says like. I think that Coda made this game because he was lonely and he really, 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 really desperately needed someone to talk to. And I'm like, mm, bitch. Maybe projecting uh, a little uh, bit. <laughs> yeah. This is also interesting because in my quest for Coda, there was like a talk where he like talks about himself and it's almost identical to the sentence he used in that talk. Oh, yeah. About himself. Uh, you mean Davy does, or Davy? Uh, interesting. Hmm. Like specifically, it's identical to the stuff that's in the speech bubble. Some of the speech bubbles, or um, I think like the fact that he felt lonely and oh, I see the way the the way that the narrator is describing Coda. You mean? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So. And that's like that. That actually like works well because it it also helps. Um, that that does reinforce that you know like these 
this is the narrator projecting what the narrator, what quote-unquote Davy is feeling onto the games that Coda is making. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's good. Okay, so yeah, so there's that level. And, and uh, the narrator also mentions that this is the first game of Coda's that they ever played. Yes. Uh, so the next one is the prison games. Okay. Oh, the prison games. Yes. It's a, a series of games where you're stuck in a room with a bunch of modern furniture, and one of the walls is a set of prison bars through which you can see, like, a a jutting uh, cliff point um, with a well on it that seems like you're some, maybe supposed to get to the well. Also, but you can't. I like, I like the subtitle of this game, which is Porn Stars Die 2. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all the games have some kind of weird text introduction that has, like, not necessarily that much to do with what's in the game. Yeah. Uh... Uh, and so there's, so this is, like, like 20 different variations, or not 20, but there's, like, a bunch of different variations on this room and this set of furniture and, like, being trapped. Um, so there's one where you, like, uh... It, like, teaches you how to get out of the room, but then you go back into the room and then you can't actually perform the instructions it told you how to do. Uh, and there's one where when you try and, like, get out, the, the walls all recede and it's just, like, a million... It's just a labyrinth made out of the furniture. <laughs> it's, um, like, stretching on forever. Yeah, there's one that... There's a doorway, but the doorway just leads you into... It leads you basically down into the well that you can see, but there's no way out of the well. So you're yeah. still just trapped. Um, and there's one where, and he like, Davy's like, I, I'm just gonna like, cycle you through a bunch of these real quick. Like, here's one where the, you know, the you're on the like, the the well is the prison, and the room is where you're trying to go. And here's one where, um, like, the inside is the outside. And here's one where like the bars aren't there, but you still can't go forward. And here's one where, and it's just like a bunch of different. Yeah, like like game. all of the furniture is on the ceiling, or like yeah, that's the one that I remember. Yeah. <laughs> Where they're like not meaningfully different from each other, but yeah. And then the last one is one where you go onto a hill, uh, like an open hill, and he's like, this last one, like, was the one where like, you know, Coda finally got it right, so he could stop making prison games, and I think it really works because the prison isn't actually in it. Um, yeah, and, which, and, like... and the narrator sort of talks about how, like, he's worried about Coda because Cody, Coda, like, has this unhealthy fixation with prisons. Yeah, it's like, and... it's, I'm, we're, liter we're literally watching someone become unhinged and, like, completely lose it over the course of these, like, games. And it's, like, really disturbing. <laughs> I'm like, uh, are we, though? Um, I mean, kind of. I think I mean, it's just part of the iterative process. Yeah, like, let's try and make a bunch of like stupid variations on this and see if any of them are interesting. Um, like it's it's only the sign of someone, um, you know, like falling apart yeah. if you assume that that person is taking these games really seriously. And I kind of don't get the impression that Coda is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so the last one is there's a telephone booth next to the lamp post at the hill. And you go and you talk, you have a conversation with a past version of you who is stuck in the prisons about how to get out of the prisons. 
which is, yeah. Interesting, I guess. Yeah, which, um, I can't remember if they actually comment on it, if the narrator comments on it or not, but, like, one of the, one of the dialogue chains is, like, look, this is how you get out of prison. You just have to sit here on the phone and talk to me for a bit. I don't, I don't remember if they addressed that specifically as, like, another signifier of, of extreme disconcerting loneliness or not um yeah yeah like the 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 clearly coda still just desperately wants someone to talk to right is the narrator's interpretation oh wait yeah it does it does say that this is this is what coda wants to be able to talk so, to someone to share what's on his mind and to get good advice from someone who knows yeah but the irony is that even in this scenario you're still talking to yourself and you and you know that all of these games so far are coda talking to himself so, which is not like inaccurate as far as it goes, in that it's you know Coda making all of the games, but again, like the narrator is maybe reading a little bit more into it. Yeah, especially with that line about getting good advice from someone who knows. Like that really, really feels like the narrator saying, "If only he had opened up to me and talked to me and asked me what I think about yeah. <laughs> like." Uh, um, that that's that pushiness again. Yeah. Um, and this is again, that's the sort of thing that made me think of like, oh, this smacks of like, you know, uh, entitled white gamer boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, I could yeah. see that. Um. So yeah. So we we have the conversation. We get off the phone, uh, and we go on to the next game, which is the house cleaning one. Oh, the house cleaning one. I like the house cleaning one. This is another one that that the narrator changes without telling us. Uh, we learn later. Uh, oh, this is yeah. one. This is the one that the, the narrator does admit to changing, although kind of doesn't apologize for it in any way. Um, so, so you are there's like a a sort of a courtyard, like an outdoor courtyard, and there's a house. It's a pretty nice, modern-looking house, like big glass, you know, window walls and. Uh, you go in, and there's one of the cube head people there who talks about, like, hey, can you help me do some chores and straighten this this place out? Um, and so you do, uh, it's like, like, they'll tell you, yeah, there's a couple random things. Yeah, it's like, gather up the dishes, wash the dishes, uh, clean up the bathtub, make the bed, straighten the rug, pick up the books... Uh, clean up the couch cushions. Straight, straighten the couch cushions and clean up the spill on the table. And it sort of like loops throughout these tasks, where occasionally they'll just reset themselves. Um, and while while all of that's going on, you're having a conversation with with the cube head. Yeah, and this is the one that like the narrator says like, Coda told me that this made him feel calm or something like that. There's something to that effect. Yeah. Um... I know that Coda really liked this game. Of all his work, actually, this was the one that he called me up to ask to come over to look at it. This was during a period of a few months where he was grossly happy all the time, just walked around with a constant smile on his face. I'm glad he made this. I'm glad he found some peace. Yeah, okay, so the calmness is the narrator's interpretation. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, it, and we learn later on in a, in a future level that this game loops forever. Mm-hmm. Like, this game is supposed to just continue on and on, and you never get out of doing chores. You're just always doing chores. Yeah, and there's there's another bit of dialogue that sort of goes back into that, um, where 
where the narrator likens this to sort of a um, like a macro version of the door puzzle where you've got a door on either end and you sort of sit in the space between the doors for a while before moving oh, yeah. on. Yeah, uh, like uh, the narrator is fixated on this idea of the blank space between the doors having a particular meaning. Yeah. Um, which it's like, it's a necessary space. You can't have the puzzle if you don't have a space there to get trapped in. Yeah. Um, and and also, the... like, mechanically, the door puzzle does force you for, like, you know, three seconds to stay in that space before you can move on. So it's like the narrator sees that as, like, a forced period of reflection. Yeah. Which I think is yeah. just like an art of... Which, uh, you, looks like it would be more of just an artifact of the mechanics. Yeah, I, I, that I was one of the things that most made me go like, I think you're reading too much into this. I think you're reading too much as well, but like, you, I think it's, it comes from the mechanic, but it yeah. serves as a pause. Yeah. It does serve as a pause, but I, I, I think the, I still think the narrator is putting more emphasis on it than it deserves. I mean, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I guess there That's are there are some references to the to the dark space like in dialogue, uh, like with the box heads. It's like, um, like when you're trying to tell them how to solve the puzzle, it's like, well, what do we do? Well, you just have to you just have to stay in that space for a little while. It's not that bad. It's fine. I promise. You'll you'll get used to it. You'll come to like it. Um, hmm. But then also in this one, um, hang on, where does it say? Um, you can't stay in the dark space for too long. You have to keep moving. It's how you stay alive, which is the whole point of the puzzle doors, right? Sooner or later, you have to pick up and move. I really thought that was the point of it. Yeah, except that's not the point of this game because we learned that originally <laughs> this game doesn't end. You just do chores forever. Exactly. Um, I like this one, though. But you have a nice like, little conversation. I, I assume that the idea is that the door is always there, even though the game never ends. Yeah, I assume. Yeah, I assume the, that the further door probably existed, but was always closed. If I were making this as a as a game of futility, that's what I would do. Like indicate that there is an exit, but just never open it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so that's the yeah so that's the house cleaning game, and it, that one's a little bit more relaxing than most, just because the music is kind of soothing. Mm -hmm. and I think it's like only because of the music. Yeah. 100%. I mean. I, I think the conversation that you have with the box head is, like, very nice and yeah, calming and, like, personable. Like, it's, like, you're talking to, like, a very gentle friend that you've just yeah. met. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, um, the, it, like, the, the music especially contrasts with a lot of the other music in this game, which is, like, a, a little, like, off-putting and discordant or, like, kind of eerie and, like ominous and open-ended um so like having something that feels a little bit calmer and more relaxing is is a bit of a relief for sure mm -hmm. i i wrote down in my notes um so are you are you are either of you familiar with the website does the dog die.com yes i can't no. remember if we brought it up on this uh this podcast before but there's a website called does the dog die which it's a database where you look up movies and it just tells you the fate of the animals in the movies, like whether the dog gets killed or not. So in case you like are, were worried and didn't want the dog to die, 
like you can just say like okay the dog dies in this movie i'm not gonna watch it or like okay the dog is okay so i don't have to worry i i really think there needs to be a corresponding one for games that is are there jump scares.com because so much of this game i was so tense waiting for something to jump out and or like you know waiting to come around a corner and to come face to face with like an enormous face staring at me or some shit like that yeah and i'm like I, I really, really want to know if there are jump scares in this game so I can just, like, calm the fuck down if there aren't. Yeah, I think I think the closest we get to jump scares is in, like, the theater one, which is not the next one, but the one after that. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's also in the tower, there's, like, when you first encounter the, like, the invisible labyrinth. Oh, yeah, that's true. Is a little bit of a jump scare. It's not, like, a major jump scare, but... Yeah, like, there are, there are not, like, big explicit jump scares there are just like a couple of sudden moments yeah so which phew but this was like the one level where i like calmed down a little bit and didn't as much worry about that because the music was so nice yeah uh so so you so the narrator lets you out without telling you that that's not how the game was supposed to end yeah the, the narrator says, like, oh, by the way, the door's open now. Um, even though there's, like, nothing in the game indicating to you that the door has opened, the narrator just tells you. Yeah, so, like, by the way, that door is open now, so you can go at any time. Yeah, like, eventually, I think the box head, like, disappears. And the narrator says something about, like, this goes on, but eventually the music fades and the, like, the door opens and you can leave. Um... So yeah, the boxhead man disappears and you basically have no choice but to go up the hill and uh, into the other door and to the next level, which is the lecture hall. I, this one's weird. I like this one. I like this one too. Also a good example of projection, I think. Yeah, this is this is almost what I was like expecting in terms of the jump scares because there's something like really eerie in this room. Oh yeah. Um, so it starts with like you're in a lecture hall sitting in the audience watching like a box head man give a lecture on something uh, and then like every so often it like blinks out and you're closer you're like sitting further down in the rows towards the lecturer and then eventually it blinks and you are the lecturer facing the rear lecture hall and you see there's like a handful of cube heads in the audience and like a giant black vortex in the back and screaming. The soundtrack changes to screaming. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the lecturer and is... You're, like, you're also having a conversation, I think, between the lecturer and the students over the course of this. Uh, I, think the le I think it's just the lecturer talking, but okay. um, the lecturer is like giving a lecture on how to be perfect. Right. And how to, I how love to, that lecture. Yeah, on how to <laughs> achieve perfection. Um, but how not only to achieve perfection, but to do so in a way that appears to be effortless. Um, hang on, where's the... Uh... And you also, like, it, when, you're the, when you're the lecturer, you can choose from, like, the not self-confident answers, like the answers that have nothing to do with that. Um, yeah. But the, those ones are, like, in parentheses, I think, usually, or they're, like, grayed out, yeah. or they're somehow otherwise, like, indicated that, like, this is not one of the quote-unquote normal answers yeah you can still select them but um basically like one of the ex my favorite excerpt from the the lecture is um i want your friends the people in your life to to look at you and think wow this person is a better human being than i am 
Right now, who do you think about that way in your own life? Who do you know who is so well-developed as a person that they make you feel disgusted with yourself, compared to whom you feel useless, selfish, ungrateful? I intend to make you that person. Um, so, yeah, so eventually you, like, blink into the, the lecturer, and you can either continue the lecture, which is the yellow choices, or you can choose the grayed out ones, which are like ostensibly sort of his internal thoughts and his internal monologues, which are bits of text like, uh, on the way, on the way to work, I told an elderly person to start contributing to society. Uh, <laughs> kids should not follow their dreams. Yeah. I still love you. It's just that you make me feel cold on the inside. Uh, drinking is not hurting my life. Yeah. Uh, do you understand that you won't be happy until you love me? This is for you. Uh, anyone want to do some ecstasy after this? <laughs> so it's it's just like isn't there isn't there also one about the vortex in the background? Yeah, like, hey, yeah. Somebody noticed that giant vortex. Yeah, eventually it goes into that. Like, holy shit, you guys! Something is coming out of the back of the room. Look out! Um, it's coming for you. It's going to destroy you. Everyone, run, run! Uh, and the narrator says something about how, like, once you blink into the, um, the narrator, you see that everyone is just as bigoted and insecure as you are. And I'm like, mmm, that sounds like some more projection. Yeah. I don't know about you, I don't think I would ever tell an elderly person to start contributing to society, but... That's just... <laughs> Maybe not, but I would sort of... You would... Sure, it's a projection, but it's... You would it's... think it? No, I, I, I get it. It's, it's the go-to projection. Yeah. Right? It's it's the hyperbole to to make it sink in. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if I don't know, some of that sounds more like the narrator than like things that we've heard from Coda. So it's unclear, you know, like maybe Coda was feeling that way, or maybe it's another thing that the narrator has changed and not told us. Yeah. Um But yeah, either way. So that one, that one is really creepy because the giant vortex in the back of the room is just creepy. Yeah, really well done though. Yeah, I, I appreciated the uh, the effects on that. Uh, I think this do you is. Go, do you go through the vortex to get to the? No, it it just it just fades out eventually to the next okay. one. Um, and then you're like to the lamp post or whatever. Yeah, and I think this is the first one where we actually like get a verbal indication that uh, making games is not necessarily uh, fun or easy for Coda. Mm-hmm. Sort of from the the narration about perfection being effortless, and then some of the like grayed out text, mm-hmm. which is uh, sort of despairing in some cases. But again, we don't know if that's actually... Coda or yeah, not. there's there's also been some interesting stuff along those lines, like um, in the telephone conversation one, mm-hmm. where like one of the options of like how to get out of the prison the prison is you just have to be sincere, and the person's mm-hmm. like, be sincere? How do I do that? Like, what does that even mean? Yeah. Uh. Okay, so the so next what's... the next one is the theater. Okay, I'm 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 waiting on the uh, the spaceship one because <laughs> I feel like that's coming up soon. Uh, the other spaceship one, yeah, the, um, I, the bridge one. I think yeah, that is that that is the next one. Okay, but first is the the theater. So, 
there's a big theater. You go onto the stage, uh, and the spotlight turns on. This is not the one where you have the gun yet. This is like you have to run around doing some weird stuff on stage, like yeah. trying to talk to someone who's on the couch or whatever. Yeah, basically the 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 like in-game text comes up and says like, okay, um, in this production you're gonna play me and. Uh, this other person is a an animal photographer, and you've always wanted to be an animal photographer, so you're going to go up and try to talk to her. And every time you go up and try to talk to her, the the in-game text, like, interrupts you and says, like, no, you're doing it all wrong. Don't you understand how important this is to me? Like, stop screwing it up. This is my only chance. Yeah, uh, like, this, is, this isn't how it, I went at all, and, like, that's not what I would say, and, you know... So it's like that the the narrator is argu- arguing with you, narrator of this particular game, not not Davy narrator. Yeah. Um, this is so confusing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Um. So, eventually, the the text tells you like, here, try try something for me. Try stepping back from the stage. Uh, and you look back, and where there was like the back curtains, it's just a long, empty corridor that seems to go on forever. Uh, and so you start walking in that direction and just as you walk, a series of prison bars like slams shut behind you until you've yeah, been walking. Yeah, and it's a very and uncomfortable noise. Yeah, it, it is. It's it's uh, loud and surprising the first time. Um, and, and you just keep walking and uh, narrator, Davy narrator, starts talking over it. And by the by the time you get out, there's like, I don't know, 10 or 15 or probably more like layers of bars between yourself and the stage. And uh, Davy narrator interprets this as, as like, I, I think that Coda saw the, the, um, the solution to his social anxiety as, as withdrawing from the world. And that's really super unhealthy. And I wish I could have, uh, I wish I could have like helped him and talked to him because I felt like his games were trying to invite me to, to connect with him. Yeah, this isn't where the crying woman appears, is it? No. no that's I think later. that's. I think that was. Um, I think that was one of the prison games. I you know I replay I went and replayed the prison games. No, it's games, not one of the prison games. Um, to find out, but uh, yeah, it's, it's not. It's a it's a revisit of the prison game that comes. Yeah, later. it's a callback. Is it in? Yeah. I think it might be an island then. Maybe. That yeah. sounds like it could be. Okay, yeah. Right, so yeah, so you're like locked up behind like ten layers of prison bars or whatever. Uh, and then the game ends. And then then's the, the bridge one, where you're on like the bridge of a starship and there's a giant door flying towards you. Oh no! Yeah, this one is great. Uh, and you have to figure out what to do to get um to, to like you have to there's a bunch of people on the bridge and the the, the games is like this is like it's supposed to be a ship where everyone is blind so you should play this game with your eyes closed but there's no way to play it with your eyes closed yeah uh, so the narrator says like you may have guessed like just open your eyes like you're not gonna do this with your eyes closed um, so you have to like go through and try and find trying to talk to someone and find a way to stop the giant door that's hurtling towards the ship and every like every so often like the door actually reaches the ship and it like crashes 
into it and like everyone dies and then the game restarts. Um, and is I assume the game is actually solvable and I just failed to solve it the first few times because eventually the narrator just tells you what to do yeah. if you fail to solve it for long enough. Yeah, you, um, you can yeah. do it before then. Okay. There's a cube person that tells you. Uh, that on the lower floor? No, on the upper floor. Yeah, yeah, but like I didn't know that you could get to the upper floor. Yeah. Um, until like uh, after I died quite a few times, the narrator is like, uh, "In case you haven't noticed, like there are some elevators on the side of this space, and you can use them to get up to the like to this overwalk, you know, um, like a catwalk type area, and talk to the person who's there, and that will like finish the game." Mm-hmm. Um, so you do that. And I forget what the cube person says. It's something the... vaguely. He, he tells you to be to so, like, to be sincere. Oh, yeah. just like, like tell you tell the truth. And uh, I think it, the dialogue that you go through is like, this is difficult, and I feel like I'm running out of ideas, and I don't know if I can keep doing this. Um, to which the narrator is like, I'm really concerned about about Coda. Um, like, because he's never been this this forward about, uh, like, about how he feels and about how difficult this is for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he talks about how, like, Coda, like, he tried to bring it up and Coda just, like, deflected. And he felt like that was a further cry for help. Like, he needs me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, yes. Get out so you don't get killed by the giant door. Yeah, I think... Why are, why are giant versions of regular things just so scary? I don't understand why they're just... This this game is very good at making things just vaguely disconcerting. Yeah. Like, I not... Mean, isn't it, like, the idea of a play, like a person knows how something is supposed to be? Or when yeah, it's not that way, yeah, you become... Sort of uncanny valley kind of expectations thing counterpoint Clifford the big red dog not (laughs) scary no uh uh probably would be in real life that's true (laughs) depends on how well trained he was um yeah I don't I don't remember exactly how this I think it I think this one eventually just fades out like after you go through the dialogue I think yeah, I mean, all uh, of so. end with a lamppost of some kind, so I'm sure there is a lamppost somewhere. Uh, the, but... the, the, the box head man you have to talk to is standing by a lamppost. Oh, is he? Yeah. Okay. I see it in a there's screenshot. Also, there's also, um, I, this is not the first time it appears, but it's a time in particular that I remember having noticed it. A lot of these games have a series of three dots yeah. on the wall, yeah. um, and, like, the... Uh, the narrator never comments on the three dots, even though it's like a recurring motif that you see in multiple games. He does. Well, he does. He hasn't yet. He hasn't yet. Yeah. Yeah. I think. So I remember. Hang on. Actually, let me let me look. Uh... What are you looking for? I feel like there is. Um, if you if you like notice it. Oh, maybe it's in this one. I feel like if you notice it at some point, um, 
and like walk up to it the narrator will mention it and say something like yeah these dots appear in a lot of games but i don't know what they mean and coda never told me but i can't find which uh i can't find which one okay i noticed the dots but i must not have triggered whatever that i yeah i didn't this time i remember triggering it like a long time ago when i played it like when it came out um Mm -hmm. but i i didn't this time so i don't know if it's like a little a little fiddly to trigger or not um even though yeah even though i did like he do mentions it at the end yeah 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 he he for sure brings it up in the in the final level um Okay, so once we get out of the spaceship, is that islands next? Yes. Um, so there's like a bunch of these, these like this this like misty white space with this floating island, and I think you have to like answer a question in order to get the next island to appear. Is that right? Uh, I think yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah, and then you just walk from island to island, and at the end of the islands is a door puzzle. You like. Part of the the conversation you're having in answering these questions is you're you're telling someone that you'll like help they they'll help you find quote unquote the machine that has stopped working uh, if you help them get past this door puzzle. Um, so you're like, yeah, no, I can absolutely help you get past the door puzzle. Um, so you go through these islands. Um, you hear a lot of like story about how the machine has stopped working um, and how it like. It, you need to find the machine and make it work again. Um, and then you get to the door puzzle and you do the door puzzle. And on the other side of the door puzzle is like a big room with like text on the walls. I forget if it's text from earlier in the game. I think it is. Yeah, I think it is as well. Um, and just like every so often, like it's, it's a confined space and every so often the, the walls sort of, get pushed back as though they're being bulldozed through, but there's only more of the same walls behind them every time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think that's the end of that game. Yeah, the um, the way, like, the, the person you're talking to, the sort of disembodied voice, which appears through text, says that, um, like, this is how you break down the walls. You just have to, you just have to keep saying that making games oh, is yeah. easy so like it's it's a series of like oh this is so easy and i feel so energized when i make games and it's constantly effortless and then as it goes on it's like the the dialogue choices become like this this isn't true though i feel terrible saying this this is only making me feel worse why are yeah, you making like, me I feel do this physically ill like yeah stop making me do this so, yeah yeah um and then when you finally break down the last wall there's uh, a prison a, a redux of the uh, the prison game prisons and a lamppost next to it, and inside of the prison is like uh, the only non box head figure we see, and it's a woman crying, and then the yeah, game fades like out. Hunched, yeah, she's like hunched over and she's like sobbing, and the sobbing is like echoing as like the you know the all encompassing sound, mm-hmm. um, and then it's yeah, all of a sudden it like fades fades out. And I wanted to get closer to see more detail in the figure, but it's hard. To, like, there, you don't have a lot of time to do so. Yeah, you don't have a lot of time, yeah. and, like, her face is sort of buried in her hands, and there's bars between you and and her, so... Yeah, she, she's in the prison. She's in the yeah. uh, the prison game prison. <laughs> the, the room with the furniture with the bars. Um, 
Yeah. Which is a pretty cozy prison, all things considered. Yeah. And, like, it is starting to feel like you can feel... Like, the narrator's tension feels pretty honest at this point because it feels like a really tense, despairing sort of game. Yeah. In that, you know... I don't know. It's pretty bleak. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's, there's also, like... Uh, beyond the concern, I got a sense of what what is what is the word like betrayal? Like, I can't believe that he he would be like thinking about stopping to make like stopping game development because I need him to keep making games. Yeah. So <laughs> there's a little a little bit of both. Um, then the next one is uh, machine. Yeah, so this is a continuation of the previous one, sort of, in that they've captured the machine that the protagonist was looking for in the last one, and you have to go interrogate it. Uh, and there's, like, a, a crowd of cubehead press that are, like, pelting you with questions as you go towards the interrogation room. And they refer to you as female. They all say, like, ma'am, over here. Like, you know, hey, you know, like, hey, please answer my question. Um... And so you go through the press into, like, a single silent room where there's, like, it basically looks like a giant car engine, more or less, mm -hmm. uh, like, big machine sitting there, and you try and talk to it about and it, about how, like, we we needed you, like, you, you, like, were the hopes and dreams of everyone, and then you stopped working, like, do you understand what you've done? And it's a, it's an inanimate box, so it just sits there and... <laughs> You're like, you, we demand that you apologize to, to all these people that you've disappointed. It's like, well, if you're not going to do it, then I'll have to do it on your behalf. And then you go out and you address the press. As that other game idea said from the, the room, you address the, the press and have to explain to them that, mm -hmm. like, the machine is not going to help us. We must go forth on our own. Yeah. Um, also, I think worth noting is that I think one of the dialogues says that the machine calls itself Coda. Yeah. So uh, read read into that however much you want to. Um, <laughs> I mean, that was pretty clear, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. It can be as assumed that this is Coda talking about like how, uh, like you know, how he doesn't want to make games. How he doesn't want to make games, and how like he feels like the narrator is forcing him into the trying to force him into the scenario of making great games. Yeah. Um, and then, interestingly, I think you This go... is already where it starts to be, like, the, the narrator keeps mentioning, like, oh, it was, like, five months since his last game, and then it was yeah. six months since his last game. And, yeah, so, like, the, the time between games is getting longer and longer at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and then, I think after you talk to the press, you... You go back to the machine, and you say, well, you're not gonna do what I asked so I have to destroy you so then like you spend a bunch of time shooting the machine and then it you get a gun you get the gun back for a spaceship game. <laughs> and it's got infinite ammo this time and um it, it then like teleports you to other levels that you've previously seen like I think it starts in the theater and you shoot the gun and the gun just like blasts away parts of the, the geometry uh, leaving behind like big white spaces and you basically, like, erase the games. Yeah, all the previous games, you just shoot them to hell. Um, 
Sorry, I'm looking at the wiki. Okay, so then then you um, teleport back to the machine, and the machine says tells you to drop your weapon, and then you shoot the machine, and the machine starts like smoking and, and sparking, and then the level ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so pretty clear, but it seems like uh, the narrator is interpreting the player figure as Coda instead of interpreting the machine as Coda. Yeah. Um, well, like, why is he destroying all of his old work? And Isn't it he interprets both of them to be Coda? I mean, maybe, yeah. Like, to, that Coda would have a conversation with himself? Yeah, yeah. And, like, tear down his own work. Um, where, in retrospect, it seems pretty clear that, like, the, that he's trying to have a conversation with Davy, with the narrator, and like, hey, this is what you're doing to me. This is what this feels like. Yeah. Uh, is that clear? I, it's, it seems clear to me now. It wasn't clear to me at the time I was playing it, but like looking at it from the perspective of like post-final level, it seems like like that would be a very fair and reasonable reading. <laughs> it's yeah, like, it, hey, well, you're demanding I, I guess, all this stuff of me. I guess... It depends on how much meaning you assume there is in every game. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Because we still don't know, like, what level of postmodernism we're getting into here, how deep that goes. Um, okay, so that's the that's the machine. Does it go right to the tower next? Yes, or is there one? it does go right okay. to the tower. Okay, so the tower is the final level, and this is kind of where all the reveals happen. Yeah, it's funny because, like, at the beginning, the narrator says, like, you know, up until now, I'd always thought that that each of Coda's games had something meaningful to say, but this one doesn't feel meaningful. It feels cold and deliberately distant, which is funny because... It's the one with the most obvious meaning, like, literally the writing is on the wall. (laughs) Yeah, Um, so, so this game is, like, a huge... Uh, like cavernous interior of a big, like black tower with sort of like these these red grates, and um, you just kind of traverse the tower. I think I think this level looks totally dope. Um, yeah, it's scary. It's like rad and scary. Yeah, it, it looks like a level from Quake. Yeah, it, yeah, it so reminds. You keep, you keep climbing up, and it's just like very sterile and eerie the whole time. Yeah, um, so the the first thing you get to is the uh, invisible maze, which is just a big flat plane, and you start walking forward, and eventually you hit an invisible wall, which teleports There's you like an... back to the beginning of the gate or of the maze portion, while flashing red and making a really unpleasant sound. Yeah, <laughs> not fun. Yeah. And, and once again, the narrator says, like, uh, you know, whenever you're ready, hit spacebar and I'll just build a, I'll just build a, a ramp over this maze so you don't have to do it. Um, and it's the, you guys have noticed, I'm sure, that the, the panels for the, the, the bridge that he builds over it are from the Stanley Parable. Yeah, it's the, yeah. the, the, the orange source... unfinished yeah, wall it's tile. Like, I think that's like default source engine. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Like tile set for prototyping. He makes a lot of use of that in uh, in the Stanley Parable when he whenever he's talking about something being like unfinished or yeah, uh, you know, like behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of cute. Yeah, 
but yeah, it would make sense if that's a if that's a source engine thing. Um, yeah. So then the next thing you come to is the the combination lock, where there's a giant like set of it's like a seven digit number, I think, six. Uh, and it's six digit number, and it's um, yeah. You just have to sit here and guess until you get the correct six digit number. Okay. Here we go. This is the key that you get in another game that unlocks a door in this game. Devil Tower Star are cards from the tarot, the 15th, 16th, and 17th cards in the tarot deck. The code is 151617. Ah, nice. Yeah. So, good job. <laughs> I would have never been so, clever enough yes. to figure that so out. If you, were, if you were paying <laughs> incredibly close attention and no tarot stuff, yeah. you could maybe have solved this without brute forcing it. Clearly the so, narrator did not know that. He didn't mention This it. would have been really cool, but all of this is like meaningless because of next room. Yeah. It's literally impossible to yeah. get out of. Yeah, then yeah, then you go into a blank room and the narrator's like, even if you brute forced your way through the last two puzzles, like you get here and there's literally do and like I don't understand why, like, Coda was shutting me out like this. You know, like, this is not, this was not fair. Like, I really, like, all all he had to do was reach out. I really, like, desperately needed to help him. And he's making it, he's like, I need to fix the problem. And he's making me feel like I, you know, like I'm a loser. Like, I can't fix the problem and I have to fix the problem. And it's like the, the narrator is losing it a little bit. Okay, so here's, here's an Easter egg. Um... In the game files, the impossible door has an entity name of impossible underscore if the player is retarded. What this means is up to debate, but it would seem to indicate there actually is a solution to be found even with narration turned off. So, so maybe, I don't know, if there actually would be a solution. Because you can't, you can play these games without uh, the narration turned on, which I think defaults them to, like... You would have to wait an hour in prison. You would have to solve the maze yourself. You would have to brute force the uh, the code puzzle. I didn't. I didn't realize that was or, an option. Or know that. Or know the tarot. <laughs> yeah. Or know the tarot. Um, I don't. So I don't. I've never played it. I didn't actually realize that was an option. Um, hmm. So I don't know. The the game. The wiki doesn't say anything about there being an actual about what the solution about what is. the solution would actually be. Uh, yeah. So, that's, sorry, I just had, I feel like I have to point out all the Easter eggs since I already started doing that, so. Yeah, no, that's fair. I wonder if you'd, like, rename it, like, Possible Door or something like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, yeah, so, Davy says, like, you know, it has that rant about, like, I, I really needed to, like, be able to fix the problem, and I could, I, you know, he just, like, wasn't letting me in, and he wasn't let it, you know, he wouldn't let me try and fix him, um... And then he says, but I can open this door for you, so let's do that. And then he opens the door, because supposedly the switch is on the other side of the door. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's, like, an invisible switch, and you just have to do the standard door puzzle. Yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, so you so you go through the door, and is that does that take you directly into the museum? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, so then the next part is a museum 
where there's a bunch of walls with words written on them that are like carefully cordoned off and presented as like works of art and they are speaking directly like from Coda to the narrator um, because it starts like dear Davy like I have to ask you to please like leave me alone yeah basically. It, it's like do you, have, do you have the text directly because like, I, I don't which is, is which is unfortunate thanks, thanks the text Wiki. of this is super important yeah I think the first one is like Davy Thank you for taking an interest in my games, but I have to ask you to please not speak with me again. And yeah, then it goes into me. yeah, and then it goes into like, you know, you you showed my games to people without my consent. Um, stop adding lamp posts to my games. I feel physically ill when I'm with you. Like yeah, like so. just extremely terrible indictments of the narrator's yeah, like, character. Yeah, you make yeah, you make me feel physically ill. Um, like, at some point, maybe I did start putting solutions into some of these games because I knew, like, because I was, like, buying into what you were doing, but, like, I can't keep doing this. Uh, please stop putting lampposts in my game, which I think is hilarious because that's one of the most, uh, like, you know, that's one of the things that the narrator ascribes as super important. Um, so, about the comment made me feel physically ill. This is a direct quote from when David was like suffering from depression and made by his roommate about him. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Huh. Because he was feeling like he started treating everyone really badly. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, I yeah. I'm sure th I like I'm sure this game has a lot of meaning to Davy that like I don't even feel comfortable approaching in terms of like trying to interpret what it is because it, like it's precisely really because of what the game stuff. says yeah and yeah. The, the game is all about like how you shouldn't try and read too personally into stuff that's like not um, not yours I feel like there was also there was one other like relevant there's, there's one that was really important to me as considering that I throughout the whole thing identified way more with Coda than with uh, the narrator and that was like um, something to the effect of, like, I know a lot of my games see ver seem really dire and dark, but highs and lows are just part of the creative That's... process. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it says, um, it says, like, my, you know, my lack of games lately is not because I'm depressed. It's this is just a natural part of the process. And the fact that you think this makes me somehow like broken in some way says more about you than it says about yeah. me. Yeah. What the, what the thing says. Yes. Uh, meanwhile, the narration is, like, the narrator starts talking about how he, like, apologizes and how he feels terrible, but at the same time says, please, will you start making games again? Like, let's see. Um, yeah, he's like, and I know you didn't want me to show your games, and I know that's what I'm doing right now, but I can't do anything else because I just need to feel this validation and, like, it's so important. Like, I felt yeah. so good when I was showing people your games because it felt like, you know, they were validating me by, like, you know, by sharing, like, how much I love these games. And, you know, it's like he, he kind of, yeah, his, his breakdown it's, continues. Yeah, like, please start making games again. Please help me. Please give me some of whatever it is that makes you complete. I want whatever that wholeness that you just summoned out of nothing and put into your work. You were complete in some way that I never was. I want to know how to be a good person. I want to know not how not to hate myself. All I want yeah. is to know that I'm going to be okay. Yeah. 
and there's one of the one of the last words on the wall says something to the effect of like uh you know like i hope you get you know you find whatever you're looking for i can't help you find it you're not my problem you're not my problem Um, to solve yeah yeah you're not my problem to solve but i hope you find it when you do find it don't say anything yeah um and so you know and and like I think part of one of the things in this tower, uh, Carl, you mentioned, like, he does actually bring up the three dots. He says, please just tell me what the three dots mean. Yeah. Uh, Uh, And that's, like, clearly, like, sure, he doesn't, he does want to know what three dots means, but it's more, he wants Coda to talk. Yeah, he wants Coda to. About his games. Yeah, he wants to be in the know. He wants to have that personal connection where he understands what Coda is getting at. And yeah, so this is like, it's a really interesting because it's simultaneously like the narrator's breakdown and like the complete understanding of how badly the narrator has like crossed these boundaries while simultaneously reading Coda's like repudiation and say like, you know, the please don't talk to me anymore. Like, this is too much. I can't handle this. Like, you're making this, you're, like, ruining the process of game dev for me by, like, making this experience awful. Yeah. So this is the point where I started weeping. Really? So bad first time I played. Yeah, I I could see, like, if this, if you were more closely identifying with the narrator up until this point, I could see this being, like, an incredibly emotional sequence. Because, like, I do understand where the narrator is coming from in that there was this important thing and he's like afraid that he has destroyed that important thing for himself by just by like mishandling it and by being an asshole he lost his friend yeah yeah um but at the same time i much more closely identify with coda i'm like like I'm going to say she here because I, I've been thinking of Coda as she the whole time. Uh, like she's saying like, I didn't give you permission to share this. This was personal work. You're reading way too much into it in a way that's making me like personally uncomfortable and is like, you know, wrecking this experience for me. Like we need to go our separate ways. You need to back off. Yeah. Like sending very clear boundary signals that even now the narrator is still not really getting. Or is at least like outright ignoring. Yeah. Yeah, and and from from my side, it's like, like, I know that when I am in a dark place, I am a bitch to deal with because I don't want to <laughs> deal with anybody. But because of that, I also know how to deal with people who are like me. And the thing <laughs> is, you don't try to help us until we are ready to be helped. You just yeah. sit there quietly. And offer silent support, which is, like, the exact opposite of the narrator sort of taking it upon himself to try to help yeah. Coda by, like... Quote-unquote, fix the problem. Yeah, fix the problem. And, so. and, the, and, and the reading super deep into, like, dark themes in, in, in the games, it's like, sometimes it's just helpful to get that on paper. It doesn't yeah. have to mean anything beyond this is how I feel and this is how I am, like, providing therapy to myself. Yeah. So. so I'm really... I don't want to make presumptions because, like, we're we're looking in. And if we accept, yes. like, like, these two people have, like, a close relationship, 
to each other to some degree. Then, like, Davy's gonna know Coda much, much, much better than I would. If you presume that relationship. If you presume, but uh, as, as I said, I do because. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard I, to tell. I, I have to. I have to assume that he's telling the truth because otherwise, what's the point? Well, I, I have to assume that he's not trustworthy because we've explicitly like found out that he lied about the lampposts. So as far as I'm concerned, in terms of trustworthy narrator, like we can't take anything the narrator says for granted. So, yeah, I, like I don't know, I I really hate this trope in games and media that some like a protagonist or something always makes right choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love the idea that. He fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, no, the, I mean, one way or another, I think the narrator definitely fucked up in this situation. Um, but, like, we do... It's it's almost worse if they were close, because the, the text on the wall clearly indicates that, like, a lot of boundaries were overstepped, and if the narrator knew Coda well, then he should have been more aware of those boundaries. Um, so it's almost more of a betrayal in that sense because, like, you had access to this person and, like, could have been using empathy to, like, actually see how they really feel and talk to them about their real feelings, but instead you just, in, you know, overinterpreted what was in their art and did not take their word for it, you know, did not, like, actually take their word for how they were feeling or anything like that. Um, whereas if the character doesn't know Coda as well, it's a different kind of problem because it becomes more about like a fan trying to get too close to someone who like is not ready for that level of closeness. Oh god, like this is two completely different games based on what assumption you make. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of their relationship. Yeah. If you assume like a stalker scenario, it's becomes sort of creepy with Davies doing yeah. And just like sort of disgusting. Yeah, it's yeah, and it it's it is it's kind of hilarious that it's that open to interpretation because of course the whole game is kind of about interpretation, right? But at the same time, even even if you do assume a a less intimate, more stalkerish relationship, you can still clearly see it as a tragedy as the narrator's illusions of this relationship are completely and utterly shattered and he still tries to sort of cling to the denial of it. Like I'm yes, not definitely Yeah, I'm not gonna claim is that totally I have play about Oh go on. What? Oh the game is totally about it's about the focus is on Davy. Yeah. For sure. It's 100%. much more about Davy than it is about Coda. Yeah, and I mean even though even though, like I've said, I, I identify more with Coda, I'm not going to like claim that Davy is the ultimate evil bad guy villain. Like, yeah, he's like a well he's, in- not. <laughs> he's, he's like a well-intentioned wow. schmuck who didn't realize the extent of damage that he was doing. And in some ways that's almost worse, because if you're not the big ultimate villain, then you can be assumed to have some semblance of guilt to have to grapple with, and that guilt is clearly on display here. And I, I actually think that, like, 
again, in either case, the the problem that narrator Davy displays is a very common problem in like the gamer community, which is this sort of lack of empathy for others. This like refusal to try and think of things like try and put yourself in the shoes of the other person and actually think of them as a real person who has a real life outside of you know this world of games. It's like... um, whether whether that's you know demanding that devs implement a feature that you really want or like harassing someone who like gave a game a review that you didn't like like all of these are in are forms of erasing the personhood of the the sometimes even someone who created something that you really love or care about um and so i think like that actually like that kind of hit close to home for me because i'm like yeah no like this is a little too familiar for like a lot of stories yeah and i mean even beyond like actual development this also goes into like twitch streamers for example yeah parasocial relationships Mm -hmm. the idea that like you're you have a real relationship with someone that you like have only met digitally uh and don't actually know that well and you know yeah like the the one-sided relationship where it's their job to make you feel like like they're your friend but that's (laughs) not what the actual transaction is yeah so it's it's cool and then so at the end like so you get to the end of this um the tower and then you get to the epilogue um which is just a thing where you it's just a very long corridor through a bunch of different landscapes um that you just like pretty early on in the process the narrator just pieces out he's like i have to like go and think about this because you know like clearly like i'm you know like i need to i need to you know, this, this needs to be something I deal with, basically, personally, and just, like, stops narrating. Yeah. Also, the implication, I think, is that this level, because you, you the narrator tells you that the, the previous level is the last one that Coda ever made, so it's like, is the implication that this one was made by the narrator? Or is yeah, this just, I like, a null space? I was under the implication that the game was made earlier, he just didn't show it. Oh, that could be an option too. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's unclear like what the like who made the last level or what the genesis of it is or you know like where where it fits in diegetically. Um, but you go through all of these spaces. Sidebar: You start in a train station, um, and it reminded me a lot of the train station from that prequel game for um, yeah um. the whatever the game is. The one we played... Norwood Suite. Yeah, um, Norwood Suite. Oh, yeah. The, the prequel called? train station game. Uh, off-peak. Off-peak. Off-peak, yeah. It felt a lot like the train station from Off-peak. Yeah. Which was kind of hilarious because that is also, like, a very auteur and hard-to-interpret game. <laughs> yeah. Also, like, I'm 100% stealing that train idea where you, like, you go in in one end of the train and you go out in the next and you're in a different place. Yeah. The, yeah. um... Which to to implicate where you were moving. Yeah, the um, Secret of Mana did that. The game, one of the games I just finished for my stream, oh. where you like you go you go into a map and then like while you're in the carts, there's like an animated texture behind the windows of the train moving, and then you get out on what is clearly the other end of the same map, but is supposed to be like a different area. 
Um, yeah, so you get you get to the end, and there's the blue beam from the Whisper Escape game, and you step into the blue beam, and it lifts you up out of the ceiling, and you see nothing but labyrinth for like as far as the eye can see, on and on and on, as you go up, as you rise into the air. I like that. I I remember um, back when I played this when it had just come out. I actually uh, screen capped that and used it as my desktop background for a while. I could see that. And it's, you know, it has a lot of resonance. Um, you can you can probably interpret it a bunch of ways, like, in relation to the rest of the game. I kind of interpreted it as, like, the unknowability of other people, right? Like, some, some like, we are all infinite labyrinths, in a way. Yeah. Because you can never really fully understand someone who's not yourself. Even yourself is sometimes hard to understand. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it was, like, a very cathartic cathartic move like ending but yeah but you know, like it doesn't mean anything exactly yeah and so, so like, this is it, a great this is a great a, segue into post it's a big build up to something that's just fizzles out but it, it feels right though right even though it doesn't necessarily mean anything the fact that it's like a callback to like one of the first levels um but like with infinite more complexity feels correct um, and so I want to talk about this game in relationship to postmodernism. Um, so postmodernism, as I understand it from my college uh, study of the novel class, um, is focuses a lot around the idea of the existence of symbols without any meaning behind them. So the idea of something that like seems grand and symbolic and meaningful, but like does not in fact have a deeper meaning behind it. And you can you could interpret a lot of this through that those lenses, right? Like if you interpret Coda as like just messing around making these games, then this is kind of and you know like not really trying to say anything, but just being a little bit pretentious and you know joking around. Then this this is like the ultimate postmodern game, right? Because there's all these symbols everywhere with no meaning behind them, and then there's the narrator frantically trying to d divine meaning from it. So I have a question. Do you mean Coda's game, or do you mean uh, the Beginner's Guide? Okay, yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, like Coda's Coda's games is just being like messing around and not actually trying to have any of this meaning that the narrator imposes upon them. That's funny because the other the other like big thing that I know about postmodernism. It's funny. It's funny because it's like we've both taken classes that deal with postmodernism, but like I can't define it super well i don't know if you really can either but yeah no um, it's, it's hard to define and it's defined differently in a lot of contexts yeah and and the definition that i think about most when i when i think about postmodernism is uh recontextualization of of prior works which also works in this in this uh ending yeah. is the recontextualization of the accidental bug that you get from escape from whisper uh, reused as an intentional ending with uh, possibly a big grand meeting, but also possibly maybe not. Yeah, and there's a lot of recont recontextualization that happens overall in this game because yeah. you've got, like, uh, you know, Davy's narration that you then realize comes from a completely different perspective than you thought mm -hmm. when you get to the end. Um, and there's the idea of, like, Davy taking Coda's games and changing them. Yeah in some way to try and make them more meaningful. Um, 
So I sort of thought recontextualizing was like recontextualizing modernism, which sort of doesn't make this. It I don't know. Work. I don't know yeah. enough about modernism. <laughs> yeah. As a modernist, I'm, I might be wrong, but I thought it was like the idea of like a grand meaning behind everything. Yeah, and I, I, I do think that works here. Like the idea of like postmodernism is undermining that, right? Mm-hmm. I guess. So probably mo- modernism. Modernism is grand meeting, and postmodernism is like that grand meeting was sort of a lie. Surprise! Just kidding. Yeah. Is um, yeah. What you what you thought was true is not actually true, um, and this game works uh, like does that on multiple levels. Like it's a very good like postmodernist game, <laughs> which is kind of hilarious because it's a game about literally not trying to overinterpret things. <laughs> yeah. Um, and let me tell you, that is what I'm here for. <laughs> yeah, we are we are entirely here about. Uh, we are in, entirely here to overanalyze this game. Um, so, le- okay. So let me let me go through my notes and see if there's anything we missed. I think we covered most of it as we've been talking about stuff. Um, the, the difficulty of criticizing a work about criticism. Uh, postmodernism we talked about. Are there jumpscares.com? Uh, there was one thing I noticed, which I super, super appreciated, um, which is just a nice little polish thing. The narration seamlessly changes between the control screen you're using because yeah. I started off using mouse and keyboard but I, it made me sit too close to the computer and I was getting really nauseous the first time I played this by the way I played it like first thing in the morning on a mostly empty stomach and I got really sick Oh no! I was like really badly sick um, but then after that I'm like okay I need to sit further away from the screen I need to drink ginger ale um, and I did those things and it was okay but um, when I when I was playing mouse and keyboard, um, you know, the the character says, like, you know, click on this thing to make this happen, the narrator. Um, and then I switched to gamepad, and, like, the next thing is, like, press the use key on your gamepad to make this thing happen. I'm like, seamless. Didn't have to restart the game. Didn't have to do anything. The, it just adapted to, like, understanding which control scheme I was using. And that I'm is, like... That's good, yeah. So nice. Such a nice little polish. Good on you. Good game designer. Yeah. Uh, we talked about the gender conspiracy theory. Uh, I really like that conspiracy theory. I know it's very much like an overanalyzing this game sort of thing, which is why it, like, it feels almost like sacrilegious to even bring it up. But I felt really strongly like, is, is Coda supposed to be female? Yeah. And even if it is, like, an overanalyzing thing, it's it's nice that it was put in to make us conspire. Or to make <laughs> yeah. us discuss the conspiracy. Like, it, it's it's good that it was there, even if it was just there as a red herring to make us talk about it. Because yeah. we did. Yeah, we did. We sure did. Good job. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much all I have. Um, I have some stuff about, like, you know, the relationship between artists and their art... Uh, and like artists and and fans, and uh, like, but I think we we kind of covered, sort of, you know, <laughs> I think we kind of discussed that into the ground. Yeah, artists are entitled, and their fans are even more so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think if we talk about that, we're just going to be giving our own opinions. 
yeah. which which we can do. I don't I don't know if it'll necessarily like add a whole lot, but we can do that. Fuck it. <laughs> I mean, there's there's also something to be said for like a lot of times people interpreting a work find more meaning in the work than the artist originally intended. Yeah. Like that's a pretty common thing where someone's just like, look at all these like super amazing themes and the artist is like, oh yeah, no, I totally intended that. It reminds me of um in like freshman or sophomore English in high school where we read uh the Robert Frost poem after apple picking and um like I think I think actually this poem is why I'm such a big stickler about artists' intent because like apparently Robert Frost had said no this is not a poem about death and yet the textbook and my teacher both swore up and down that yes this is a poem about death and I was like but you guys he said this is what it's what he like you can you can say that you interpret it as being about death, but that does not mean concretely that this is a poem about death. And that, like, that teacher just in general did a whole lot of shit to piss me off. So I think that is, like, I think that's a big reason as to why I'm so stubborn about it. Um, but that's just I don't, what, I don't, what this I don't reminds me of. shit about artist intent. Oh, yeah, uh, Carl. When I play a game, this this, the, the game... It's not an artifact. It's it's me playing the game. Yes, and, and the it's... author, baby. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I I don't think you have to like entirely discount death of the author, but I also don't think that it's fair to say this is the interpretation and this is the only interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. There are definitely. That. Yeah. There are yeah. readings that are more or less supportable by the text. Yeah. Um, and it it can be insightful. To see, to like know what the author intended, in case you missed some things that might be in the text. But if it's not in the like, the interpretation is should be based on the text and not based on what the author thought they were communicating, because maybe they failed to communicate that thing. Yeah, my my point is the absolutism that really bothers yeah, no. me. <laughs> yeah, that's and that's totally fair. Uh, so I guess the only other thing that I wanted to bring up was, can we think of other examples of like. I mean, aside from the Stanley parable of unreliable narrators in games and when that's been used effectively, because I was like super pleased. I don't often get a lot of like fun literary tropes like unreliable narrators, and I'm always pleased to see them when they appear. Um, well, the big one, since uh, Detroit Become Human just came out, this is appropriate. Uh, the big one is Heavy Rain. And um, I still haven't played that. I, I own a copy of that and have so, not played uh, it. I mean, I don't know if I should like tell about it i mean it's an old game so you're out of spoiler territory yeah i'm um, probably past the but the, it's a it's a huge spoiler unless that it's game design she it's, doesn't care yeah it's a huge <laughs> it's a huge spoiler so i'll feel a little bad uh, tell, um, tell me so the the whole game um which i mean you probably know like the premise but i'll say it anyway just in case anyone doesn't is that you have three characters and the game revolves around finding and stopping a serial killer known as the origami killer who like kidnaps kids and leaves them in a storm drain during like periods of heavy rainfall and they eventually drown if they're not found in time uh one of your characters uh detective shelby is like 
trying to stop, like, he's investigating the origami killer's most recent kidnapping. Turns out, he fucking is the origami killer. <laughs> and yeah. and the game, like, at the end, flashes back to sequences that you have already played, but then changes them and shows you stuff that you did not see playing through them. Hmm. And it's, like, the biggest bullshit. It's the biggest, worst, most bullshit, unreliable narrator, because the entire time... You are in control of the unreliable narrator, and the game just omits things and then shows yeah. them to you later as like a big gotcha. So that's like the big uh, video game equivalent that I can think of that uh, is not good, but it's hu <laughs> huge. It is huge and ostentatious. So I feel like I would be remiss if I did not at least no, bring that's it up. Fair. That's I mean, fair. it's like blatantly obvious. Yeah. Like. But, uh, like, Naruto, it's the bad guy. So, like, a Gladys in Portal. Yeah, I, I don't know if I would think of you her... You sort of know? Yeah, I don't know if I would think of her as a narrator, but yeah, no, you're right. Um, a Braid comes to mind, mm. where we're seeing all of this through the lens of, like, what the character, you know, how the character remembers things, but then the, the sort of final coda at the end, if you will, um, is is us realizing that, like, actually, maybe that's not how it was from her perspective. Yeah. Um, I, I like to see games do interesting literary stuff and interesting experiments. And, like, the Heavy Rain thing, as, as frustrating as you probably found it, I think, like, it's, it's neat that a game tried that. You know, even if it didn't end up, that's, like, working or feeling satisfied. Yeah, like, that's the crux of David Cage, I think, is that he's got really cool ideas a lot of the time and just executes them horribly. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think, like, that's the biggest frustration is that it could have been really cool, but it was just, like, surprise! Actually, it was completely different than from what you did. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, which doesn't make you feel implicated, it just makes you feel lied to. Yeah. I just want to see more characters in games that make mistakes. Yeah, that are well. that are uh, sometimes like... Not perfect human sh beings sh choosing yeah, the right people. options every, yeah. every time. Well, I've, I've actually recently, uh, because I got it on sale, and I felt like I deserved it after babysitting, I got uh, The Witcher 3. Um, and that's, it's not necessarily like players making mistakes but a lot of the decisions that you have to make it's like there's really not a good option like something shitty is going to happen either way it's just like which shitty thing happens and sometimes it's a slightly less shitty thing um depending on what you choose but i i sort of get the same feeling as players making mistakes which i mean that's a big theme within like the Witcher lore anyway like that's in the stories even where like and... oh go on sorry uh, I was gonna like slightly change subject so finish the Witcher <laughs> oh yeah no like the, the whole thing is that like uh like it, one of the earliest short stories is that like Geralt is always trying to do like the lesser evil He's trying to, like, minimize the amount of evil in the world, and sometimes that just doesn't work out for him. <laughs> so <laughs> it it they dovetail that really nicely into the game, I think. Yeah, and so I want to be clear that, like, what I think is interesting about, like, a character making mistakes is not the scenario where 
like the character thinks they're doing the right thing and then it turns out they didn't have all the information and like that thing was actually a bad thing all along and you didn't know you know like no this is like one where a character has like selfish or less than ideal intentions Mm. like because they're a person you know like because they like maybe don't always like give in to their only their best instincts you know or 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 because they were hurt and they you know like lashed out or they did like they did something shitty because not everyone is perfect all the time yeah or similarly they were trying to do the good thing but then just bungled it like yeah. like sheer incompetence or like cracked under the pressure and now they have to deal with the consequences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I feel like we have a lot of that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, I mean the, you know, the like haha, all along you did not know that this was uh, that this was secretly a bad thing. Well, not even not even that. Like not even, not. not even through a lack of information. It's just like whoops, you fucked up. Like, it's purely your own fault that you didn't do it right or something. Like, yeah. you never see a character that's nervous if, <laughs> if that's not their main trait yeah. for that situation. Yeah, that's true. Or, or even, like, a character, like, sincerely expressing, like, apologies and regrets... You know, unless that regret is, oh, I should have been there and I was not there on time or whatever. You know, like, you, you, you don't see a character going like, ah, shit, I really fucked up and was an asshole there. You know, like, we should have more of that in games. Yes. More apologies. 2018. <laughs> oh my god, yes. Um, that would be a great, that would be, I would, I would like that. Anyway. Apologies for taking so long with this podcast. Let's talk about the next game. Unless uh, you guys have any other closing thoughts. On no. I'm done. Yeah, I'm done. I think it. I mean, I think it's fine. It's, I think it's been a while since we've had a really long one. So. <laughs> I I like the really long. For such a short game. Yeah. yeah. Well, we had a lot to say. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot to unpack. I think yeah. we did a pretty good I, job. I didn't. I didn't think I was actually going to like this game as much as I did. When we were when we started playing it, I'm like, okay, this is a game by you know the guy who made the Stanley Parable, and it's called The Beginner's Guide, so it's clearly going to be like a very meta kind of thing about games. So like, maybe that'll be interesting, maybe it won't. I sort sort of like gave it a vague like, eh, like we'll see. Um, but I ended up really enjoying it. I thought it like said some really powerful and interesting things, and there's a lot of different ways to interpret it, but they're all interesting. Um, yeah. I, I think oh, yeah. it was a good choice to go with the human side of game development and to really explore yeah. that rather than than maybe a more obvious mechanical route. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was very cool. Anywho's next game. Next game. Next game is man. God, speaking of the human side of different game development. Yeah. <laughs> um our next game is the silver case which is a sort of, kind of, visual novel adventure game hybrid thing from Grasshopper Manufacture, um, written and and designed by uh, uh, Suda, Suda51, Goichi Suda, uh, your, your weird boy from Japan. The, the other... One, one of your weird yeah, boys from prob- Japan. Probably, like, your main weird boy from Japan, if you don't count Kojima, who is... 
undeniably a weird boy from Japan, but also like the mainstream weird boy from Japan. Yeah. Whereas like, Suda is we're also not is counting less. Sweary, I guess. Sweary, yeah, I would say that like Suda and Sweary are the two weird boys and then <laughs> yeah. and then like uh Kojima. What about, like Yakutaro. Oh yeah, that's true. How did I forget about Yokotaro? I love him. I love that boy. He's he's actually like maybe my favorite of the, yeah. The, okay, so those are the, that's that's like the the trifecta, and also, then Kojima is. What's the name of the 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 guy who made like um, Katamari Damashi? He's also kind of. Oh weird. yeah. Um. Oh no, I can't remember his name. It starts with an M, I think, but. I'll look it up. You introduced yeah. the silver case. Yes, uh, come back to it. Um, so the silver case is like a mystery thriller that was released in Japan. Like I want to say, well, actually, I have the wiki up. Why am I? Why am I trying to guess? Uh, released in Japan in 1999, and then uh, did not come out in the United States. Uh, until it was localized and ported to PC, like, a couple years ago, I think? When was that? Uh, 2016. No, that was when it was teased. When was it released? Oh, okay, 2016. Later. <laughs> just later in 2016. Um, uh, even though, like, there was a DS version that was in development and was going to be ported, and that got axed, and I was really pissed about it. Because I knew about this game even then, in like, I don't know, 2007, 2008, like a decade ago, I really wanted to play it, and I just never had the opportunity uh, until recently when it finally made until it to PC. Until now. Until now. Um, so I've played a little bit of this. It's definitely uh, a pseudo game, and it's definitely an early pseudo game. I heard a from your computer. Are you still recording? That was not a ping from my computer. That was uh, my cat knocking into something. <laughs> that was my cat knocking into something. Okay. He, yeah. So, was the control schemes for this game is really, really bad. Okay. Get used to it. Yeah, it's, it's a little weird. Um, I don't know if you can change it, because the, the PC version has some... Uh, remastered options so like you can play it in pretty much what is what was like an upscaled version of the original PlayStation game but then there are some uh some elements that have been overhauled i think like UI has been overhauled um some audio stuff i think like soundtrack oh possibly. yeah they remade like all the audio yeah so i don't know if any of that extends to the controls or not if there's like a, an overhauled version of the control scheme, uh, we'll see. I guess we'll find out. So it's not his—it's his first game, but it's not like the original version of his first game. I think all the content is intact. Um, it's just some of the UI and okay. and sound, as far as I know, has been maybe altered to fit a slightly more modern profile. That so. makes sense. So I don't know. I don't know if any of us wanna, if we wanna like agree that like one of us will play the original <laughs> version and one of us will play the remaster version. If we think that will be like helpful for discussion or not. Yeah. I, don't I think, think we matters. can. We can play whichever one we want and then look up the other one. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm gonna play the new one because I. I tend to enjoy things being improved. 
Yeah. Usually I, when they're fixed, they're fixed for a reason. Yeah. I remember sort of looking at what the original one, the original settings were, and I don't, I don't remember there being like a huge blatant difference, but it's been a long time since I've uh, touched this, so. But I'm looking forward to actually like going back and playing through it. So. That's that. All right. I have I have never played a Suda Fifty One game, so um, I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, ostensibly I, this is a good place to start. So yeah, yeah, I'm excited to see the weirdness firsthand. Uh, Keita Takahashi, by the way. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So play the Silver Case between now and two weeks from now. Yeah. And then come come talk to us about it because we like talking with people. Yeah, if you're if you're a diehard Suda fan uh, who can also play nice with criticism, <laughs> uh, uh, come join us next time because that would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, outro. Outro. Yes. Uh, plugs. Hello, I'm Kelso. You can find me on Twitter uh, at ktimebomb. At Kelso Time Bomb. What the fuck am I thinking? At Kelso Time Bomb, I'm conflating it with my other handle, uh, at K Time Bomb Art, which is just like art art tweets and stuff, which I <laughs> I have not made anything that I felt worthy of posting in a long time. So yeah, you can go there or not. That's fine. Uh, and at Kelso Time Bomb is for like shit posts and me talking about how good my Chinese food was last night. It's pretty good. I did see that one. Yeah, those pot stickers, man. Very nice. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to be better than a like a, or it's it's easy it's easy to underestimate the value of a, having a really good Chinese place nearby. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Should get Chinese tonight. Yeah, do it. It's good. Uh, I am at Kyla underscore Go on Twitter. Um, you can find me uh, there and on my streams on Sunday mornings on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash cagetiger, spelled with a K. Uh, we just finished Lemmings, I guess. Um, we just started Lemmings last time, but the version I have basically like crashes at level 30, and you just can't get past it. Hmm. Um, it, it, it's, you, can, you can finish the level, like you can beat the level, and then it just reloads the same level. So either it only has 30 levels or it that it's just broken, which a lot of the uh, the reviews in the Microsoft store like warned me that it was broken. So I'm not that surprised. It was free. I don't oh, I don't feel yeah. it that much against them. That's fair. Um, uh, so I guess we're sort of done with Lemmings and we're probably going to play maybe Star Fox 64 next week. Mm. Um, possibly Mega Man 2. We'll see what I can get a hold of. Um, and yeah, so, you know, come watch me stream Sunday mornings, blind Let's Plays. Yeah, I'm at Skagfree on Twitter. I don't really post that much anymore. You're a busy I'll boy. Post, I'll post more, I promise. More shit posting. Yeah, <laughs> more shit posting. That's what I like to hear. Skag is a, a rare beast, and you should feel lucky if you have a sighting. Mm-hmm. He's like a Bigfoot, but yep. but cuter, probably. <laughs> we, we haven't actually ever seen Carl, so we don't know. Yeah. Carl is an extremely rare creature. He's like a unicorn. 
That's 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 a nicer comparison than a Bigfoot. You, you you are our uniform uniform unicorn. What the hell? <laughs> You're our unicorn. Uh, it's time to end the podcast. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye.